Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 48, round 48, of the marathon fight for the future of our country. And I'm your corner man, Paul Rykoff. Ring the bell. The fight is on. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. But you're probably not angry if you're a boxing fan. This weekend was an epic fight in Las Vegas between two undefeated heavyweights. British Tyson, the Gypsy King Fury, versus American Deontay, the Bronze Bomber Wilder. A rematch of their epic fight from December 2018 in Los Angeles that ended in a draw. It was much more exciting than any presidential debate, but no less bloody. And I hadn't been as excited about a fight since I was a kid and Mike Tyson was fighting. And it was said many times before the fight, the conventional wisdom was that Tyson Fury had to be lucky the entire fight. Deontay Wilder only had to be lucky once. And I was rooting for Fury, but reluctantly picked Wilder. And boy, was I wrong. I was more wrong than every pollster in 2016 who thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. But it was a fight that was about so much more than boxing. Tyson Fury never disappoints on the entrances. He came riding in on a giant throne, carried by people dressed like Amazons, wearing a cape and a crown, dressed like a king, while Crazy by Patsy Cline played. Now, Fury's battled with mental illness over the years and has been open about having suicidal thoughts. He abused alcohol and drugs during his darkest times and put on a ton of weight after he triumphantly beat Vladimir Klitschko in 2015. But after that, he went downhill and stayed out of the ring for three years. But since his comeback, he's been incredibly open about his battles with mental illness. And he donated his entire $9 million purse from his first fight against Wilder to homeless and mental health charities. But Deontay Wilder also put on a hell of a show. He had rapper D Smoke introduce him and perform his song Black Habits while strolling into the ring in a gem encrusted light up set of steel armor while video boards displayed images of famous African Americans in a celebration of Black History Month. He was like the blinged out dark night of the White Walkers. And coming in, they both looked ready, strong, in shape, fury more than usual, and even bigger than his usual. He was 6'9", 257 pounds, and Wilder was a lean 6'7", 220. It was a show before the show, but the show didn't disappoint either. He is the winner by way of technical knockout. He is still the undefeated Lydia heavyweight champion and the new WBC heavyweight champion of the world, the Gypsy King, And Fury put on a clinic, an incredibly impressive display, and it was wild. 
Tyson Fury won in the seventh round and became the WBC heavyweight champion. It was a stunning, attacking display from the Gypsy King. Deontay Wilder was beaten and battered, and in the seventh round, his corner finally threw in the towel. But before that, Fury licked the blood off Wilder in the six, and Wilder had his eardrum busted. After the fight, Deontay Wilder blamed that 45-pound entrance outfit for tiring out his legs and costing him the fight. And Tyson Fury, at the end of the fight, did what has now become a regular thing. He ran his mouth, and he sang. But top to bottom, it was the most entertaining fight in a very long time. But Wilder has been shattered, his perfect record busted, and his confidence smashed, and his future in question. And Tyson Fury is just getting started. He's a marketing genius, a boxing genius, has a massive body and a massive mouth. Him all over the media in the next few weeks is going to be legendary because Tyson Fury is a guy who appreciates it. He's having a great time, and damn, he's fun to watch. I just want to say a big shout out to Deontay Wilder. You know, he came here tonight. He manned up. He really did show heart of a champion. I hit him with a clean right hand and dropped him, and he got back up and battled on into round seven. He is a warrior. He will be back. He will be a champion again. Second of all, I said I'd sing a song tonight, didn't I? A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. Sing along if you know the words. And I knew if I had my chance, I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February made me shiver with every paper I deliver. Bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't take one more step. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widow bride. Something touched me deep inside the day. The music died all together now. So bye bye, Miss American Pie. He sang American Pie and had the whole arena singing along. It was fun. One for the ages. Now Tyson Fury says he'll fight Deontay Wilder again. There's a rematch clause. And the drama will continue like a raging bull. Now, boxing's always been dramatic, just like politics. And the heavyweight division in boxing has never been more exciting. And our politics have never been more exciting either. For better or for worse, boxing and politics now have the attention of the entire world. And both are frustrating. Both are at times brutal. Both are at times inspiring. Both are a metaphor for life. And both can be a source of anger or a way to channel your anger into positive impact, just like this show. And coming up, we'll break down boxing. We'll break down politics. And we'll break down life with an amazing guest who knows about all three, Rosie Perez, the icon, the legend, one of the best voices of our time on the Fury Wilder fight, on boxing, on the Harvey Weinstein verdict, on mental health, on surviving abuse, on movies, on dancing. Hearing Rosie Perez in a podcast is like watching Floyd Mayweather hit the speed bag.
It's a very special thing. And it's the conversation I've been most excited to share since I started doing the show. And soon, you're going to understand why. And I've also got an urgent action segment that will inspire you to turn your anger into positive impact. So stick around for that. But impacting us like a haymaker to the head every day, Trump gives us new reason to be angry just about daily. And he's not the only one. But this episode is going to be like a heavy bag a productive place to channel that anger into something that'll make you stronger, tougher, better. New reason to get up off the mat and keep moving forward. Or maybe even more than a heavy bag, let this show be like a little angel, a gruff, grizzled, experienced, sometimes grumpy, but always inspiring little angel. And if you ever get hurt and you feel that you're going down, this little angel is going to whisper in your ear. He's going to say, Get up, you son of a bitch! Because Mickey loves you. Yes, Mickey does love you. And he'll be here for all of us in these turbulent times for the prize fighter that is our nation. But first, before the main event, with February coming to a close, the primary season reaching peak madness, and my youngest son's first birthday right around the corner, and the prospect of a Fury Wilder rematch less certain than the results of the Iowa caucus, there are some important issues in the news that we need to break down. Issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. Some nasty foes in the ring of news that want to beat down our democracy, clean our clocks of civility, and send our sanity or peace of mind to the mat. And that starts with the nastiest foe of them all, a super heavyweight of concern, the coronavirus. Here is something you can't understand. Oh, I could just kill a man. Here is something you can't understand. Oh, I could just kill a man. Yes, it's taking lives. But it's something we will understand. But President Mayhem, this is something he can't understand. Coronavirus is getting worse. And Trump is forever more overconfident than Mike Tyson in Japan versus Buster Douglas. He says he's got it. As far as what we're doing with the new virus, I think that I think that we're doing a great job. Uh, I felt that, and the decision was made in Japan, let these Americans come back and we'll see where they are. But they were immediately put into quarantine. There's no problem with it whatsoever. They're all in quarantine. And as you know, we approved, I approved two and a half billion dollars for just that purpose and also for working and getting a vaccine. Yeah, President Mayhem thinks he's doing a great job, but he always thinks he's doing a great job. He's like a champion fighter, but one with his trunks around his knees while he prances around the ring. He might be winning, but it ain't pretty. And he ain't exactly winning over the crowd worldwide with his singing especially when it comes to his tune on the coronavirus, which is sending a flurry of punches all around the world that are nothing to be messed with. And that flurry is starting to land punches on America, overseas, and here at home. So, I know I'm talking loud because I really cannot measure my tone at all in this Ghostbuster outfit. So we are one minute, I'm sorry, 15 minutes from landing. In Travis Air Force Base. I've handed paperwork out to everybody. 
That's the sound of a government official in a hazmat suit talking to a plane full of Americans, coronavirus-infected Americans that were flown home against the CDC's advice, the Center for Disease Control. As the U.S. government began evacuating hundreds of Americans from Hunan, China, the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak, using chartered jumbo jets. That's one of three flights that took off from China and landed in the U.S. Now, according to Dr. Nancy Messonier, the CDC vaccine expert, disruption to everyday life in America might be severe. And she continued. To date, our containment strategies have been largely successful. As a result, we have very few cases in the United States and no spread in the community. But as more and more countries experience community spread, successful containment at our borders becomes harder and harder. Ultimately, we expect we will see community spread in this country. It's not so much a question of if this will happen anymore, but rather more a question of exactly when this will happen and how many people in this country will have severe illness. She went on to say that she told her children, well, I don't think that we're at risk right now. We as a family ought to be preparing for a significant disruption to our lives. But like a fighter, always preparing for an eventual fight, we should all be prepared. But Trump, he's dangerously overconfident per usual. And that likely won't cost him his life, but it could cost the lives of others. In boxing, like in combat, and I hope in politics, overconfidence and playing to the crowd can get you knocked out. And Trump is the heavyweight champion of the universe when it comes to ridiculous overconfidence. He thinks he can beat everyone. He thinks he can beat Biden. He thinks he can beat Bloomberg. He thinks he can beat Sanders. He probably thinks he can beat Mike Tyson. I was in Jeff's crib one night about eight. We were watching a couple of Mike Tyson fight tapes. Jeff was like, man, you see how hard Mike's punching? Come on, Jeff. The other guy was just lunging. Left, right, left, right, another KO. If that was me, I'd have been okay, though. The very next day, I gave Russell a ring with JL and Lior, and we all called Don King. I said, yeah, Don, I got a problem. Tell him, Prince. Yeah, what's up? What you saying? You trying to solve him? Forget the small talk. Let's get to the but Trump is feeling like a champ back from his big trip to India and a visit with his fellow Muslim hater Prime Minister Nahendra Modi the two of them think they're winning by pushing others around. And as always, Trump thinks he's the champ. Remember the champ in the movie The Champ? The Champ was a boxing movie that came out in 1979 and starred John Voight, who is now a big supporter of Trump. It's actually a great film. But The Champ in the movie is like Trump. And TJ, the kid, is like Don Jr. or Eric or Ivanka, maybe. There's The Champ now. So Trump is back from India. And this must be what Don Jr. and his other kids say. There's the champ now. There he is. Anybody missed me? Yeah, right. Where have you been? I've been waiting. I know, I know, TJ. I had a bad night. Yes, but I've been going crazy. Of course you're going crazy. You know why you're going crazy? Because it's hereditary. It's in your blood. You got a crazy father. (laughs) Yep, they got a crazy father. And he's back from his overseas trip. And he's picking up right where he left off. And he's here to fight the coronavirus for all of us. So don't worry. Trump's calling in the most expert fighter we've got 
when it comes to complex scientific issues. What I've done is I'm going to be announcing uh, exactly right now that I'm going to be putting our vice president, Mike Pence, in charge. And Mike will be working with the professionals and doctors and everybody else that's working. The team is is brilliant. I spent a lot of time with the team over the last couple of weeks, but they're totally brilliant. And we're doing really well. And Mike is going to be in charge and Mike will report back to me. But he's got a certain talent for this. And uh, I'm going to ask Mike Pence to say a few words. Yep. America and the world are up against a super heavyweight challenge. And Trump's sending in an intellectual and scientific featherweight. And there's good reason to question whether or not they can handle the big stage of this moment, the bright lights of a massive Vegas super fight, and even if they can tell us the truth. Now, I'm not a massive fan of CNN's Jim Acosta. I think he's a guy who also plays to the crowd too much. But he was right about this one. On this idea of a purge in your administration, uh, there was recently the departure of your acting DNI, Joseph McGuire. You replaced him with your ambassador to Germany, Rick Grinnell. Uh, some of your critics have uh, pointed out that Ambassador Grinnell has no intelligence experience. How can you justify to the American people having an acting DNI with no intelligence okay, experience? Okay, first of all, I want no help from any country, and I haven't been given help from any country. And if you see what CNN, your wonderful network, said, uh, I guess they apologized in a way for didn't they apologize for the fact that they said certain things that weren't true? Tell me, what was their apology yesterday? What did they say? Mr. President, I think our record on delivering the truth is a lot better than yours sometimes, if you don't mind is, me saying. Your, let me tell you about your record. Your record is so bad, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Acosta's right. We can't count on Trump to tell us the truth. And when we're facing a potential pandemic, the stakes couldn't be higher. And as has been the case in month after month, issue after issue, round after round, stakes is high. Yep, stakes is high and getting higher as now a U.S. soldier has tested positive for the virus in South Korea. The soldier, the first U.S. service member known to be infected, has been quarantined in his off-base residence in South Korea. And the South Koreans have reported 169 new patients, the biggest outbreak outside of China. So coronavirus concerns are landing blows on our people overseas, and now, here at home, body blows as 83 people are now voluntarily in isolation in Nassau County and Long Island, New York. Officials in Nassau County announced that they are monitoring 83 people who may have had potential exposure to the coronavirus. Test results for one resident are pending. And the 83 residents have been asked to undergo voluntary isolation, removing themselves from other people, including their family members, for 14 days from the last time they were in mainland China. They're required to report their temperature and any symptoms every day to the county health officials. Now, the majority of the people who've been asked to undergo voluntary isolation have been completely cooperative. Now, they've said if someone is not cooperative, officials have a plan in place, but they have not had to employ it. I'm curious to know what that plan is. But just like a good boxer, don't freak out. Don't panic. Whether it's just a grazing blow or a jab to the gut, you got to keep your head and keep your cool and stay vigilant. But remember, it is a fight, a fight for the health of our nation. And we need to be smart, just like a champion. 
So don't freak out. Don't panic when the pressure's on. Just be a smart fighter. Go to the CDC website and get the information to prepare yourself and prepare your family. You can find out how it spreads, the symptoms, testing, how to protect yourself, and frequently ask questions. And you'll find out the immediate risk of this new virus to the American public is believed to be low at this time. Everyone can do their part to help us to respond to this emerging public health threat. And that also means tackling the flu. It's currently flu and respiratory disease season, and the CDC recommends getting a flu vaccine, taking everyday preventive actions to help stop the spread of germs, and taking flu antivirals if prescribed. So wash your hands, get a flu vaccine, and go to the CDC website. Now, back in May, I took my punches into a new issue that had me angry and had others angry. The people who were intentionally spreading the measles. Remember them? Remember the pro-measles people? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to episode six from back in May, where we talked about pro-measles people, people who were intentionally spreading measles. Those people are going to be particularly problematic if the coronavirus spreads. But you can also hear from my friend, fellow activist, and world-renowned organizer, Agent Pooh. Agent Pooh is the director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance and the co-director of Caring Across Generations. You may remember she was named to the Time 100 Most Influential People in the World list and is really shaping the future of our country. She was a powerful voice on this pod, and she continues to be a powerful voice in the Me Too movement. And she continues to score knockout wins for many of the people who are on the front line of our health issues and domestic workers. Here she is at a Washington Post event focused on working families called The Cost of the American Dream. Well, Philadelphia, I just want to shout out Philadelphia because they just passed, thank you, Councilmember Brooks, um, a domestic workers bill of rights that granted portable paid time off to 16,000 domestic workers for the first time in the country. Really huge breakthrough. Um, And I think what we're speaking to is just a much larger challenge, which is that we American families, especially working families, are in a totally different environment than we were when our safety net was put into place and our existing policy framework. So right now there really isn't a care infrastructure to support working families. It used to be our default infrastructure was that women would stay home and take care of family members. That hasn't been our reality for decades. And people are living longer than ever before because of advances in healthcare and technology. And the boomers are aging at a rate of 10,000 people per day turning 70. And so we've added an entire generation onto our family lifespans. And none of our policies are designed for that. So you have this new phenomenon of the sandwich generation caregivers who are panini between the pressures of caring for their aging loved ones and their children, and they have no support in place. So we need child care. We need universal access to family care, child care, long-term care, paid family leave, as a new starting point for families in the 21st century. So if you heard episode six, you remember Agent Poo is a powerful voice on how to care for people who need it. 
and her voice and recommendations are already having a huge impact on the 2020 race. Expect to hear more about the so-called sandwich generation on a future debate stage, because Agen is making sense, and the candidates are listening. So go back and listen to episode six to hear more. Agen's a crafty fighter, and one that keeps winning belts for working people across America. And she's been a powerful fighter for the Me Too movement, which experienced a major watershed moment. Finally, some big nasty opponents are getting knocked out. And maybe the biggest and nastiest of them all finally got sent to the mat this week. While it might not be an outright victory, it's a historic knockout, the humbling of a bully, and the bringing of a fake tough guy to his knees. Finally. This is the new landscape for survivors of sexual assault in America, I believe. And this is a new day. It's a new day because Harvey Weinstein has finally been held accountable for crimes he committed. The women who came forward courageously and at great risk made that happen. Weinstein is a vicious, serial sexual predator who used his power to threaten, rape, assault, trick, humiliate, and silence his victims. He has been found guilty of criminal sexual act in the first degree and will face on that count a state prison sentence of no less than five years and up to 25 years. Harvey Weinstein has been found guilty and he's down for the count and hopefully he'll never get back up. That was Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance. It was a historic day, but far from the end of this long, historic, and overdue fight. But it's the end of a brutal, pivotal round. And coming up, we'll talk to a woman whose courage made it possible. Rosie Perez has been a pivotal, courageous voice of the Me Too movement, and she actually testified in the Weinstein trial. And this was Rosie Perez's powerful advice to Annabella Shora at the end of the original New Yorker expose that blew the story open. Rosie Perez says that she urged Shora to speak by describing her own experience of going public about her assault. Rosie said, I told her, I used to tread water for years. It's fucking exhausting. And maybe speaking out, that's your lifeboat. Grab on and get out, Perez recalled. I said, honey, the water never goes away. But after I went public, it became a puddle and I built a bridge over it. And one day you're going to get there too. We are very lucky to have Rosie's insight, wisdom, and reflections at this historic time. She's a fighter, like few I've ever seen. And you're going to want to stick around and hear her break it down in our captivating conversation. But before that, some other big names are getting knocked out. And that's thanks to the tremendous courage of survivors all across America. Some folks who have a right to be angry. Boy Scouts of America have declared bankruptcy, another major knockout in the fight to protect survivors of abuse. After the Catholic Church and then USA Gymnastics, the Boy Scouts are the next big menace to go down. The centuries-old organization is facing over 300 lawsuits from men who say they were sexually abused as scouts. The organization says it will use the Chapter 11 process to create a trust to provide compensation to victims. Scouting programs will continue throughout. As a former Boy Scout, I think that's good news. But I also want to know that if I send my boys into that program, that they're going to be protected. 
The filing was made in Delaware and is expected to set off a new deadline for victims' claims to be made. So hopefully, finally, the judges will make the right call in this fight for the soul of America and stand with the little guys. And there's another big fight that's just getting started against another big nasty, the bureaucracy of the Department of Veterans Affairs. Here comes the story of the hurricane. The man the authorities came to blame for something that he never done. The excellent reporter Nikki Wentley covered it for Stars and Stripes. After weeks of reporting and calls for action from many leading veterans groups, including IAVA, the group I used to lead, Six senators demanded an investigation into how the Department of Veterans Affairs handled an alleged sexual assault at its Washington, D.C. hospital. Now, this is about the assault, but it's about something much bigger, too. It's after reports that VA Secretary Robert Wilkie attempted to discredit the veteran who reported the assault. The senators, led by Senator Patty Murray, a Democrat from Washington who I've worked with and have great respect for, called the reports deeply concerning and have finally asked the VA Office of Inspector General to investigate. Now, here's the deal. A courageous Navy veteran and congressional aide to California Representative Mark Takano, named Andrea Goldstein, stated last year that a man groped and propositioned her inside the VA Medical Center in Washington, D.C. The VA Inspector General's office investigated the alleged sexual assault, but disturbingly, it announced in January that it closed the case with no charges. And Goldstein spoke out. She bravely wrote an article for the blog Jezebel earlier this month, and she wrote that VA Secretary Wilkie had implied that she was a liar, amounting to, quote, public retaliation and gaslighting. She continued, upon reading this letter and this phrase, I hid in a stairwell in the Longworth House office building and began to shake with rage and horror. That's what Goldstein wrote in the article. Now, ProPublica reported that VA Secretary Wilkie had sought out damaging information about Goldstein in an attempt to undermine her report of sexual assault. The Washington Post also reported on the story, saying that Wilkie, a former Pentagon leader, had inquired with military officials about Goldstein's Navy service. Now, Wilkie's denied it. But if he did it, he needs to go. Period. And if he does go down... It'll be Trump's third VA secretary choice to do so, after David Shulkin and the now infamous Dr. Ronnie Jackson. Now, that's just at VA. Trump fighters go down faster than CNN's ratings when Tom Steyer's doing a town hall. Trump is on his third chief of staff, his fourth national security advisor, his fourth defense secretary, his fifth secretary of Homeland Security, his sixth deputy national security advisor, and his seventh communications director. That's how fast his people are going down. And whether Secretary of VA Wilkie goes down or not, the VA continues to have a women problem, bolstered by Wilkie's leadership that continues to fail to address challenges faced by women nationwide. And still, Wilkie stubbornly refuses to change a sexist, outdated VA motto that totally excludes women. It's a fight I've been a part of for years, yet Wilkie and the White House remain dug in. But we'll keep swinging, and we will win thanks to the courage of heroes like Andrea Goldstein and countless others whose names we'll never know. Like a small boat on the ocean Sending big waves into motion Like how a single word can make a heart open And all those things I didn't say were wrecking ball. 
And another big, nasty heavyweight went down this week after being knocked around by brave fighters in the Arab Spring. Former Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak ruled Egypt for 30 years before he was overthrown in a popular uprising, and he died at age 91. Mubarak was a strongman president who led the Arab world's most populous country with a total iron fist. He got knocked out in 2011, and he was the second Arab dictator to fall in a wave of popular protest known as the Arab Spring. But he's finally gone, and the world is better for it. But his overthrow was a victory for the fighters, for the courageous, for those who speak up, and for the little guys and gals who throw big punches. Another heavyweight went down, and a very different kind of nasty. Michelle Genovs is going to jail. Who's that? You may not know her name, but you know what created her fortune. It's a totally different kind of nasty, one that could send you or anyone to the mat in a hurry. When you want a hot meal without a big deal, what are you going to pick? Hot pocket. When a hungry bunch shows up for lunch, what are you going to pick? Hot pocket. Yep, Michelle Genovs is the heiress to the Hot Pockets microwavable snack fortune, and she got five months in prison for her part in the whole college admission bribery scandal. And I don't think she's going to be getting too many Hot Pockets in jail. And Hot Pockets are not exactly the kind of stuff you want to be eating if you're training for a prize fight, unless you're Andy Ruiz or Donald Trump. But prosecutors are seeking nearly two years in prison for her role in helping buy her children's way into elite universities across the country. The government called her one of the most culpable parents they had charged in the case and said she only accepted responsibility when she was backed into a corner. So Janavs, whose family developed Hot Pockets, admitted to paying a guy named Rick Singer, the consultant at the head of the bribery scandal, $100,000 to have a proctor correct her daughter's ACT exam answers. She also paid $200,000 to have one of her daughters labeled as a fake beach volleyball recruit for the University of Southern California. So that's $300,000 they paid off. $300,000 is a lot of Hot Pockets. But unlike some of the other parents who came before her and were sentenced, Janavs was also hit with a money laundering conspiracy charge, something prosecutors tacked on for parents who didn't quickly plead guilty to their crimes. She's scheduled to report to prison in April. She's the 17th defendant sentenced in that scam. A lot of big names, and they're going down. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! But as big heavyweight name after big heavyweight name goes down, the biggest fight undercard of all continues to sort itself out as the top fighters jockey for the ultimate title shot. The 2020 Battle Royale for the White House continues less like a prize fight and more like a backyard brawl of Kimbo Slices and Tank Abbots. And the headline story, especially for this episode, is the Democrats are eating their own. Again, and more than ever. Democrats are eating their own like George Foreman and Andy Ruiz at a Hot Pockets convention. And that's because Bernie Sanders is surging and separating. He's now the clear frontrunner, and all the Democrats want a shot at him. And that starts with a guy who thought he was going to be champ, Biden, who ain't dead yet. Biden's like the Jake LaMotta of the Democratic field. There's no way I'm going down. I don't go down for nobody. But despite getting knocked around for months, he's still hanging in. And he's still swinging, 
most recently with this ad attacking Sanders. President Obama launched his re-election bid today. Officially announced he's running again. The president kicked off his 2012 re-election run. When we rallied together to defend our president and all the progress he made, they had his back, he had his back, and you had his back. But back in Washington, there was one guy with another plan. I think it would be a good idea if uh, President Obama faced some primary opposition. Bernie Sanders was seriously thinking about challenging our first African-American president in a primary. The Atlantic reports that Bernie Sanders told fellow senators he'd take on Obama, and Obama's team was, quote, absolutely panicked. Obama's campaign manager knew it would be a dangerous threat, since, quote, every president who has gotten a real primary has lost a general election. When it comes to building on President Obama's legacy, Bernie Sanders just can't be trusted. But Biden isn't the only one swarming punches on Sanders. They're all piling on. And in this rare case, I think, for good reason. They've got to stop Sanders or we're all going down. And that's why they're all hitting him including Mayor Pete Buttigieg. On healthcare, there's a choice. Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All would completely eliminate private insurance, forcing 150 million Americans off their current plans. Over 20 million seniors on Medicare Advantage. Pete Buttigieg has a better way to lower costs and cover everyone. Medicare for all who want it. Everyone gets access to Medicare if they choose. But if you like your private plan, you can keep it. Instead of polarization, progress. I'm Pete Buttigieg and I approve this message. Buttigieg wants to show he can win the fight by not fighting everyone. And if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to episode 37 when I sat down with Mayor Pete Buttigieg for the most extended interview he's done in a long time. We talked about how he fights and how he plans to fight Trump if he's the nominee. But there's a long way before that can happen. And the Nevada results were a major blow to Buttigieg and anyone else looking to knock out Bernie or even slow him down. Bernie Sanders won Nevada with a wide 26.6% margin. Biden came in second with 20%. Buttigieg trailed them both with 14%. Elizabeth Warren came in with 9.7%. Businessman Tom Steyer and most annoying candidate left came in with 4.7%. And Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota, came in with 4.2%. No surprise that Sanders won here. But not a bad showing for Biden, which may be a bigger story. The real question is what happens now to Tom Steyer and Elizabeth Warren. Very poor showings for both of them in Nevada. And it's Nevada, I understand, not Nevada, Nevada. Warren probably won't do much better in South Carolina. Now, Steyer's making a big investment and a last stand of sorts in South Carolina. But both will probably feel the erosion from Bloomberg's continued investments. Amy Klobuchar is looking like she's in big trouble, too. And it could all go downhill fast for her here. Good debates aren't enough to keep you in the race. Just ask Kamala Harris. And the candidates who survive from now on will be the ones with big machines that are built to last. You need a training camp. You need a corner. You need a ground game. You need it all. But Nevada seems like a fight that happened as long in the past as Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. We're already way past that and on to a new fight, which is the main event right now, the fight to take out Bernie Sanders. And here's my take. You've heard bits of it before. But Bernie Sanders versus President Mayhem would be a brutal, divisive, and chaotic display, and very bad for America. I think our enemies would be celebrating the prospect. We, the independents of America especially, say hell no to that prospect. That's why I'll be cheering anyone who can take out Sanders. 
and that fight to take out Sanders was elevated to a whole new level at the debate in South Carolina. And the South Carolina debate was no sweet science. It was a brawl. It was brutal. It was nasty. It was more like a cage fight than a boxing match. Maybe more like real steel with the robots who knock each other's heads off. It was a mess. If you saw it, you know what I mean. If not, here's the bottom line. It all kind of sounded like this. I think we're talking we'll about get to you, Mr. Sanders. Let's talk let about me, can it. Can I say something? Oh, look, first of all, let me go. I think, Tom, I think she was talking about my plan, not yours. I think we were right. talking about math, and it no, doesn't take no, two wait, hours well, to do the math. Because let's talk about let's what talk it adds about up to. Let's talk about math. Let's talk about let's math. Talk about math. Okay, if so here's the math. Nothing, no, here's the math. Can I respond to the Doing nothing is what will happen. It was a chaotic disaster of cross-talking, raised voices, friendly fire, and headaches. By the end of it all, we felt like we'd been punched in the head more than Deontay Wilder. And by the end of it, we were all wishing we had a broken eardrum like him so we wouldn't have to hear it anymore. And it was a fight where the referees were definitely a problem. The moderators from CBS, Nora O'Donnell and Gail King completely lost control of the entire debate. Oh, this is the moderator, guys. Senator Sanders? Moderator. Is it my turn? It was the worst moderated debate by far. And after this disaster of a debate... CBS should pull an Andrew Yang and send us all $1,000. They owe us for that irresponsible stain on our country. And in the end, Trump was the biggest winner. Again, the Democrats spent hours attacking Bernie and each other, and they hardly laid a glove on Trump. He was loving the hell out of it. And the biggest loser, really? The American people. We got a garbage debate that made us all a little bit dumber and definitely a bit more angry and with good reason. I've said it before but I'd like to see all the debates ripped away from the corporate masters at the networks and put on PBS or C-SPAN without interruptions for Hot Pockets commercials or Bloomberg commercials and without live audiences and with good moderators. Somebody like Errol Lewis, the master debate moderator. He joined us back in episode 42 to explain how to do it well. He's an anchor on New York One, a journalist, and a fantastic debate moderator. Go back and download that episode, episode 42 now, and share it with any of the future moderators you might know, because all these moderators need to get in the gym and get in shape. But the South Carolina rundown beyond that is pretty straightforward. That boy's hot enough to melt hell. Burn Satan too. Fries has him put his asses back together with glue. So you can hate him, he don't blame you. Frankly, he would too. This game could ill afford to lose him. Hop out too. Now guess who? Here's the clue. He came to the ball and his white beater lost his Nike shoe. It's in your ass. He's in your ass. He's all up in your psyche, too. Now, what's his name? And I think it starts with Biden. He's still always a bit shaky. But this might have been Joe Biden's best debate so far. But going into South Carolina, he's got a head of steam and is feeling his oats. Buttigieg did fine. Not great. He had a weak and nonspecific answer on Syria, followed by a smart pivot back into attacking Bernie Sanders. And he only really made one reference to his military service, which is unusual for him. And he waited until almost the second hour to do it. Reminder, he's the only one on stage that's ever served in uniform. And I think all the candidates would be smart to highlight that. It's good for their party, and it's especially attractive to independents like me. Former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg did much better than last time. 
but that's not saying much. He was still stiff, defensive, and generally unlikable. If you're looking for big punches, watching him debate is less satisfying than watching a Floyd Mayweather fight. But he may have won the night, since he had ads running on every other station in America throughout, and especially in South Carolina, before, during, and after. Trying to counter his massive marketing investments continue to be like trying to box a guy with six arms. But that's what Sanders wishes he had, because he was taking shots from all sides. And it was clear he doesn't like getting hit. Well, he better get used to it, because it's just getting started. But not a great night for him. And as I continue to warn, debates might not matter that much in the end anyway, except for those on the bottom. Speaking of which, that bottom, that face plant on the mat, is coming up pretty fast for a few of them. And that includes Senator Elizabeth Warren, who I think looked weak. After some strong debate performances, Warren's attacks on Bloomberg seem to be her singular focus right now. My job was to take all the hatred and skill that I could muster and send a man to his destruction. And I did that. She seemed entirely focused on sending Bloomberg to his political destruction. But it doesn't look like she can go the distance. And her attacks on Bloomberg may have jumped the shark. She sounded much more desperate than in the last debate. And it's always striking to me to see how she and the others all attack Mike Bloomberg, the billionaire, but not Tom Steyer, the other billionaire standing right next to them. Maybe that's because they don't see Steyer as a threat. And maybe they think he's easy money. But Steyer was annoying and irrelevant, except for the fact that he was there. The Democrats seem to think having Mike Bloomberg on the stage is their big problem. But Tom Steyer continues to embarrass their party more than anyone else up there. Every time he speaks, more people have reason to change their party affiliation from Democrat to independent or unaffiliated. Also on the bubble, Amy Klobuchar. And she had some canned peacemaker lines that she always rolls out. And she tried to establish herself as a moderate alternative to Sanders, which she is. But unfortunately for her, she's the third best moderate on the stage in contrast to Sanders. And she's fading faster than Deontay Wilder's cardio. So we'll likely be playing the Hunger Games tribute music for her very soon. She's just going to run out of money. And no matter how much Midwestern grit she shows, her corner is going to have to throw in the towel soon. Especially with more expensive primary states on the way, like California, Georgia, and New York. Meanwhile, there was a war or two happening overseas. And those wars, and our troops serving in them, got almost zero focused in the latest Democratic debate. Again. Now, over 400,000 veterans live in South Carolina. They're about 10% of the population overall, and they deserved at least one question, but they got none. And we got nothing in the debate about national defense at all, really, or about our wars. Nothing about Afghanistan or Iraq or Somalia. Did you forget we're in a fight in Somalia? I'll bet you did. It's not the rumble in the jungle, the legendary 1974 Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman fight. The fight was watched by an estimated television audience of over 1 billion worldwide, the world's most watched television broadcast at the time. It took place in Kinshasa, Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Zaire's dictator, Mobutu Siseke Soko, was persuaded that the publicity from the high-profile event would actually help his regime. So Mobutu agreed for the fight to be held in his country. And interestingly, Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi also came on as a primary financial sponsor of the event. But that was the rumble in the jungle in Africa in 1974. 30 seconds left in round eight. Very even fight. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder of Foreman. Three 
Muhammad Ali won by knockout in the eighth round. But there are no crowds for this fight for us happening in Somalia. Way to the east of where that fight happened on the coast of Africa in Somalia. No, there's no big pay-per-view audience and no knockout. There's not even much media attention. But our troops are engaged in combat there. The U.S. African Command bombed an Al-Shabaab compound near Dejuma, Somalia, the seventh in a series of strikes on the terrorist group just this month, in operations coordinated with the Somali government. Three militants were reportedly wounded, and the strike came a day after two were killed and one was wounded at a compound nearby, and four days after another strike killed three people. No civilians were injured or killed, according to U.S. estimate. Gregory Hatfield, the deputy director of intelligence for U.S. Africa Command, touted the importance of U.S. support for this counterterrorism measure. He said, quote, China and Russia appear content to remain on the sidelines as our African partners with U.S. support fight extremism and pave the way to enhance security and stability on the continent. The whole continent, huh? Well, keep an eye on that space because it's a place where America's sons and daughters are in harm's way and it could escalate quickly. But the candidates didn't even mention it. And neither did Trump, who's still swinging and missing worse than Glass Joe and Punch-Out. Back to the debate. Bernie still pulls some punches with some folks in a way that echoes his friend Tulsi Gabbard on Syria and al-Assad. Bernie Sanders had some less than negative things to say about dictators. Occasionally, it might be good idea to be honest about American foreign policy. And that includes the fact that America has overthrown governments all over the world, in Chile, in Guatemala, in Iran. And when dictatorships, whether it is the Chinese or the Cubans, do something good, Hi. you acknowledge that. Hi, but right. you don't have trade right. love letters. That last 30 seconds from Sanders would be in every attack ad from Trump for months. Fox played it multiple times in the first hour after the debate. So with Bernie surging on a brand being defined by the Democrats as socialist, and with him continuing to push language that some may hear as anti-American, it's going to trigger their inner Merle Haggard for sure. When they're running down our country, man, they're walking on the side of me. They're walking on the fighting side of me. Running down a wheel of life or fighting an important to keep. If you don't love it, believe it, let the song that I'm That's the fight Sanders would face if he was up against Trump. In my view, being labeled a socialist in America is a political glass jaw. Now, I know all the arguments about how there are elements of socialism in America ranging from Medicare to the VA. I get it. But that's not how America's going to hear it. And that's not even how Bernie Sanders can communicate. So this is the rare case where as Democrats continue to eat their own, I say, eat them up. He's a coronavirus of the 2020 race. And if you don't knock him out, he'll knock us all out. We won't have a fighting chance to beat Trump, and that's just a reality. But despite his debate performance and the continued shots coming at him from all sides, the Sanders camp keeps growing, and he just keeps adding people to his corner, including some people who are almost as old as Mickey from Rocky. People like Dick Van Dyke, who endorsed Bernie this week. Can't wait to see Bernie debate Mr. Trump. I'm Dick Van Dyke, and I'm uh, very enthusiastic. 
supporter of Bernie Sanders. The age question keeps coming up. I know that I'm 20 years older than Bernie. I have all my marbles. I could run for office if I wanted to. So I don't think age really is a, a matter except for his experience and the years he's put in. And I can't understand why, according to the polls, he's having problems with older citizens like me. Why wouldn't a, an older citizen vote for somebody with that kind of a record and with that kind of experience and, and honesty and trust? It just doesn't make sense to me. He's not getting my generation. And I want to urge my generation to get out and vote for him. Please. Now, they're not voting for him because older folks usually tend to have this pesky thing called experience. And they know bullshit when they see it. And they've also seen their share of fights and they know what it takes to win. But there are some exceptions. Some older folks are rooting for Bernie, like this guy. It was a great win for Bernie Sanders. Uh, we'll see how it all turns out. They've got a lot of winning to do. Uh, I hope they treat him fairly. Frankly, I don't care who I run against. I just hope they treat him fairly. I hope it's not going to be a rigged deal because there's a lot of bad things going on. And I hope it's not going to be uh, one of those. So we'll see what happens. But I congratulate Bernie Sanders. And if it's going to be him, he certainly has a substantial lead. We'll see what happens. In case you're wondering, Trump is 73 years old, and he would love to run against Sanders. He's licking his chops. Sanders continues to add people in his corner, someone who may not be old, but has something else that might serve him well. Marion Williamson is on Team Sanders, and that's the X-Files music. That's going to be my Marion Williamson music from now on. Her mystical powers are now in Bernie's corner. We're being told, oh, it can't happen. He can't beat Trump. Bernie can't beat Trump. It can't happen. Well, what do you think they told the abolitionists? They said to the abolitionists, abolishing slavery isn't possible. It can't happen. And they said to the women suffragettes, oh, it's not possible. It can't happen. And they said to the civil rights workers, it's not possible. It can't happen. Look at all the forces arrayed behind slavery, behind the suppression of women, behind institutionalized white supremacy and segregation. And did the abolitionists and the women's suffragettes and the civil rights workers say, oh, okay, hell no. I'll tell you what they said, it's possible, it can happen because we're going to make it happen. Oh boy, that's a hell of a comparison. It can't happen, just like her candidacy. But she's always got hope. And hope is a powerful thing, but so is witchcraft. But it's not a plan. And part of Bernie's plan now includes lining up every Marion Williams supporter that he can. She's not leaving the arena. She's not leaving the ring. And she's bringing a powerful weapon. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field. And sir, love will win. Oh, yeah. All kinds of forces are gathering around Bernie Sanders. And many are intimidated. Some are calling it quits. Some think the fight is already over. But not everyone's throwing in the towel, especially not Bloomberg, because he's got enough money to pay off the judges. And he's got an old guy in his corner, too, and a guy who has a connection to a boxing film. The truth is, my brother's in prison. My sister cheats on welfare by pretending one of her babies is still alive. My dad is dead, and my mama weighs 312 pounds. If I was thinking straight, I'd go back home, find a used trailer. Uh, deep fryer and some Oreos. The problem is, this is the only thing I ever felt good doing. If 
I'm too old for this, then I got nothing. That enough truth to suit you? So Clint Eastwood has got a new million-dollar baby. Bloomberg, maybe a billion-dollar baby. Longtime Republican Clint Eastwood is pulling support from Donald Trump in the 2020 election. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal, the actor-director signaled that he thinks a different candidate would be a better choice. He said, quote, the best thing we could do is hope to get Mike Bloomberg in there. That's my terrible Clint Eastwood. But after endorsing Mitt Romney and famously delivering a speech at the Republican National Convention in 2012 to an empty chair that represented Barack Obama, Clint Eastwood never officially backed Trump. In a 2016 interview, he said he was displeased with Trump and Hillary Clinton, saying there's, quote, much funny business on both sides of the aisle. But nobody's throwing in the towel just yet. There's no reason to ring the bell, turn on the spotlight, and play the Hungry Games music in this episode. But that's very likely to change by our next episode. Warren and Klobuchar are both on the ropes, and Super Tuesday might knock them out. And we might soon be playing this again. Super Tuesday is March 3rd, and that's going to be a knockout blow for many, but not for all. But pretty soon, the Battle Royale will start looking like a tag team match. A ladders, tables, and chairs tag team match, but a tag team match nonetheless. But we're a long way from seeing anything that resembles a sweet science. And as the fighting continues on the trail and on the debate stage, it also continues in our streets involving guns, real guns. Police responded to calls of a shooting at the Molson Coors compound this afternoon. A total of six people who worked there are dead, including the shooter who took his own life. Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett. This is a tragic day for our state. Five families, six families actually, are grieving and will be grieving because of this horrific act of this individual. Another shooting, this time at the Molson Coors plant in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. As a reminder, we've covered in this pod, Milwaukee will also be the site of the Democratic Convention this July. After every tragic shooting, we call on our leaders to do something. And in the recent debates and in the White House, there's been almost no real response to fight. The fight to protect our streets, the fight to protect our places of work, to protect our places of worship, to protect our kids. And it's as good a reason as any to be angry. But even in times like this, there are reasons to be hopeful. Because even in times like this, people are stepping up. Right now, in Milwaukee, first responders are responding. And they're saving lives. When we say look for the helpers, that especially means in times like this. And there are other places to look where you can see the helpers. Helpers who continue to step in the ring, to take punches, to stand strong, and to help others. They keep us going. That included a brave man in Kansas City known as Mr. Bob. He was an 88-year-old crossing guard and a Coast Guard veteran, and he died saving two kids from being hit by a car. His name was Bob Neal of Kansas City, and he was affectionately known to the community as Mr. Bob. He was uh, very dedicated at what he did. He cared about the kids. He made sure that... um, He stood out there with that sign and he made sure that, you know, that they were safe. 88-year-old Bob Nill retired from a career in banking and served in the Coast Guard, but he felt young at heart and didn't want to spend his golden years just sitting around. This was something I think he felt like he could help children and help himself uh, feel 
good about, you know, what he was doing. What my Uncle Bob did for just getting little kids across the street, you know, seemed probably trivial to some people, but for him it was a, it was a really important job. Now we really know how important it was. He maybe saved some lives. He did. He did save some lives. And he reminds us that everyone can do something, and anyone can be a hero. Anyone can help others. When fights get intense and you look to the corner, you'll see the helpers. They're out there, and sometimes they're unlikely, but they're out there. When Mike Tyson was asked by a reporter whether he was worried about Evander Holyfield and his fight plan, he answered, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Or as we used to say in the Army often, no plan survives enemy contact. When the battle starts, things change, and you and your plans have to change in response. It's innovate or die. That's what heroes do. That's what helpers do. That's what the best fighters do. That's what Americans do. And that's what our guest in this episode does. Always. Legendary actor and activist Rosie Perez is a fighter. And if anyone has the eye of the tiger for life, it's her. She's been through the worst that life can throw at you. And she's emerged to see the best. Every time life knocked her down, she got back up. And deep inside, she always had a belief in herself that would carry her through a tremendous journey, through the pain, into a position of wisdom and leadership and true enlightenment. And this is the Oscar-nominated icon like you've never heard her before. Uncensored, candid, and timely. Rosie shares her harrowing path to success that you'll never forget. She's one of the most beloved actors of our time, She's also a lifelong activist, a survivor, a philanthropist, an author, a choreographer, and a boxing expert. She's an advocate for people with HIV and AIDS, the people of Puerto Rico, survivors of sexual assault, and anyone, anywhere facing mental illness. Rosie also knows and loves boxing. She's always the skilled analyst, the truth teller, and the lesson teacher. She's been called the first lady of boxing, and she breaks down the massive heavyweight championship fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And she shares her candid thoughts on the groundbreaking Harvey Weinstein verdict after her recent testimony in the trial. She reflects on her time on The View. She digs into Trump and the Democratic candidates, and she talks about her amazing first car. Rosie is a great American success story. After surviving a childhood of abuse, after losing her mother to AIDS, after living in a foster group home, She's risen to become an inspiration to millions around the world. She made her name first as a dancer on Soul Train and as a choreographer for the Fly Girls on TV's Living Color. And she exploded into fame after unforgettable parts in Do the Right Thing and White Man Can't Jump. Rosie would rise to an Oscar nomination for her role in Fearless. She got a seat co-hosting ABC's The View. And she authored a book about her experiences, Handbook for an Unpredictable Life, how I Survived Sister Renata and My Crazy Mother and Still Came Out Smiling with Great Hair. President Obama appointed Rosie to the Presidential Advisory Council on HIV-AIDS, and she served as the Artistic Chair for the Urban Arts Partnership. It's a nonprofit that supports public schools and is devoted to supporting immigrants, LGBTQ, special needs, and at-risk students. This important, inspiring, and iconic angry American is a true fighter a fighter for justice, a fighter for truth, a fighter for others, a fighter for all of us. And I'm humbled to have had this moving, inspiring conversation at this historic moment. 
It's coming in fast. It's a gut punch and it's a knockout, but it'll leave you hopeful about the future and feeling like a true champion. That's what Rosie Perez is, the people's champion. No matter where you come from, no matter who you vote for, Rosie Perez is a fighter you can root for. And in this episode, we're all joining Team Rosie. She's been in our corner for decades. And after this conversation, you'll always be in hers. And let me tell you something. All the infighting, all the drama, it's all over America. But America's better than that. And just like Rosie, America will get back up. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. That's the fighting spirit of this country. That's the fighting spirit of Rosie's home in Brooklyn. That's the fighting spirit of America. That's the fighting spirit of this episode. One that's bringing a heavyweight knockout of the four eyes. With the integrity of Jack Johnson, the information of Muhammad Ali, the impact of Jack Dempsey, and the inspiration of Joe Lewis. At a time when America is on the ropes, there is still reason to believe that we can make a comeback. We can still win this thing. We can emerge from the ring victorious. Welcome to the fight game. Welcome to the squared circle of life. Welcome to an episode that'll give you reason to keep fighting, a reason to get up off the mat, a reason to help others, a reason to have hope for the future. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 48. Americans around the country and around the world, welcome to the Classic Car Club in Manhattan for an exceptionally special guest that I am so honored to have joining us. The great and powerful Rosie Perez is here with us today. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. It's such a tremendous honor to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. So I'm, I'm excited too. I'm a fan. So well, and I've been so uh, our dear friend David Angelo put us in touch. Yes. And he is uh, an incredible guy that I hope to have on this show. He's a creative genius, the CEO of David and Goliath Advertising. But uh, you two were together in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. doing really great work. And yeah. he, he was like, you got to get Rosie on the show. Oh. And I said, man, I'd be so honored. Oh. So as someone who's, who's grown up admiring your work and respecting what you do and how you do it, I just want to start by saying what an honor and a pleasure it is to have you here. It, it, it really is a tremendous honor. And as a New Yorker. As a New Yorker. Um, and I always ask every guest, Rosie, what is their, their preferred beverage of choice? So please tell us, what is your preferred beverage of choice? Champagne. 
I love it. We've never had champagne on this show before. Why champagne, Rosie? Why do you love champagne? Because you can't beat a carbonated wine. You know, it's just so good. And, and it's so dry and refreshing. And the tiny little tight bubbles, it's just fantastic. It's fantastic. Well, I hope it meets your standards. Cheers. Thank you Cheers. for joining us. Salud. Salud. I think we all need a drink after all the stuff that's going on in the world right now. Yeah. But I want to start by asking you one of the biggest stories in the world that you were tweeting about, I was tweeting about, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show right now was the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was the one of the biggest heavyweight fights I can remember since I was a kid. There was so much hype. There was so much excitement. And it delivered. I mean, it was an exceptional fight. But I'm dying to hear Rosie Perez break down the fight. What'd you see? What do you think? Um, I think it was the biggest heavyweight fight of this year. But I think that the heavyweight division has been doing so much better um, with the emergence of Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, Usek. We have Dylan White coming up. Um, we have um, Andy Ruiz, who blew it. Um, you know, so it's it's an exciting time for the heavyweight division. What made last Saturday night's fight so incredibly exciting is it was the best fighting the best. It wasn't supposed to be a padded fight. It, there was no cherry picking. It was the best fighting the best for a rematch because the first one ended up in a split decision draw. And what I saw from the very beginning, I thought that Deontay Wilder could have won if he did an early knockout, but I stated if he doesn't do that, it might go to decision again. So the way it played out shocked the hell out of me. I just couldn't believe it. And a person who suffers from mental illness and I'm talking about myself, not Tyson Fury. Right away, during the weigh-in, when I saw the pushing and shoving, I turned to my cousin Sixto. I said, Deontay Wilder just lost a fight. And he goes, no really? way. And I said, yes way. I said, here's the thing. Most elite athletes have sports therapists because they understand that it's a mental game. Right. It's not just about your physicality. It's not just about your ability to knock somebody out. It's about how well you can remain calm and composed under pressure. Tyson Fury suffers from severe mental illness. He's been open about it, which is, has been a wonderful thing yeah. for people around the world. Um, he did the hard work. He sought treatment. And... What happened was, is that, in my opinion, because he did all that hard work, he was ready for the pressure. Yeah. And Deontay Wilder was not. You're right. And so he beat him already. Yeah. And if you saw right before they were going in, they were in each other's locker rooms, Tyson Fury was jabbing him mentally, making fun of him with his wife. Yep. When I saw Deontay Wilder too serious, too moody, too tight, 
leaning on his wife like that. Oh, dude, yeah. lost. You could see it. You, you could, could see, see it. it. You, you could, could see, see it. it. I, I said to the, the guys watching fight with me, I looked over and I said, he's in Deontay's head. Mm-hmm. He's really in Deontay's head. And Deontay's not as an experienced of a boxer as Tyson is, right? Like Tyson's basically bred for this. Like, I don't know how many generations of gypsy fighters, right? right. And he also, for him, looked fit. Right. Yeah. He came in bigger. He's already six, nine, I think. So he's gigantic. I mean, he's like a dancing bear. And then Deontay came in. Now he says his legs were tired from carrying 45 pounds of that big robot outfit he came out with. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think in the last fight, Tyson outboxed him. Mm-hmm. Right. And they've, it's been widely said that, you know, Tyson had to be lucky the entire fight. Deontay had to only be lucky once. Mm-hmm but not in this fight or the last fight. Mm -hmm. Like Tyson was picking him apart and Deontay was looking for that big blow. But once he hurt him early, then it was just a matter of time. I mean, Tyson was almost playing with him at some point, right? I didn't think he was playing with him. I thought that that was tactical. I didn't think that he was that loose. Um, I I don't think that Tyson Fury took anything for granted. Not one second of the fight. In the third round, there was a back of the head punch. It was a legal punch. Yeah. Deontay's on the ground looking at Kenny Bayless like, you're not going to call that? I think that that's why Kenny took a point away later on because I think he felt bad about it and he was trying to catch up. And the headlocks, right? He's doing the headlocks headlocks. and leaning on him, which was smart for Tyson, right? To use his weight advantage, to use his size and kind of, you know, muscle him up throughout, wear him down, right? Because you could tell in the last fight, too, that Wilder got tired. Yeah. And I, I was sitting with somebody who hadn't been watching the fighter, and I said, Tyson's in better shape. And they said, how can that fat white guy be in better shape? I said, he's in better shape. He's in better shape. He's in better, he can last. I said, if, if it goes a distance, he's going to have the advantage. Mm-hmm. And I think your point is really, really spot on, Rosie, about the mental fortitude. Mm-hmm. And I think you could really, really see it, right? Yeah. So what do you think happens now? What do you, you want to see next? Um, I, I heard that Deontay Wilde is already executing his rematch clause. So we probably won't see uh, Tyson Fury against Anthony Joshua maybe at the end of 2020, but probably not until 2021. If Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder rematch does occur, we're in what month? What's February. February. <laughs> I, had to ask, I had to think about it, right? Yeah. I think that they should wait at least six to eight months for a full recovery to happen because... A broken ear drum is very, very serious injury. Yeah. Back of the head is very, very serious. If we didn't learn anything from Pritchard Cologne, where he got hit in the back of the head three times, the ref didn't stop it, and he became a vegetable. Yeah. You know, for for years, and he's now they're saying he's now just talking. Um, you know, I think that he really needs time to recover. Mm. And if he doesn't, the same thing's going to happen again. And I just found out that he fired Mark Breland. Did he? Yeah, he did. Wow. He did. Here's huh. the thing, though. Tyson Fury started out as a street fighter, right? In street fighting, you have to adjust so quickly, so quickly. Um, and he became a boxer at the same time. Right. He didn't become a power puncher initially. He didn't become a slugger. Initially, he became a boxer who was formerly a street fighter. Therefore, what Hopping sees is that that means that man can take direction. So when everyone doubted that he switched uh, teams, I was like, I don't know, because he's smart enough to adjust. Right. Um, John Snow of Trinity Boxing Gym. He's my trainer. 
He always says, you know, we see new prospects come in all the time. And he goes, oh, boy. He sees somebody training a couple of weeks. He goes, he's training how to get him out of that. And I said, what do you mean? He says, every initial bad habit you develop on day one when you are training to become a champion elite level boxer, if you don't break it, Immediately, it will stay with you for the rest of your career. Mm. So I think that giving Mark Breland a little bit of credit here, Deontay Wilder had so many opportunities to correct his fighting style way before he got to Tyson. Right. And it hasn't happened. Right. He's improved, improved this much. But come on. Right. You look at somebody like Linares, who's been in the fight game forever. His fight against Lomachenko... He dropped Lomachenko, first drop of Lomachenko's career. He still lost the fight. Linares' next match, he destroyed the guy because he learned. He learned quickly, and he's an aging fighter. Right, right, right. And, and, and he destroyed the young guy in the fight. So, so Rosie, you, some folks have called you the queen of boxing. For folks maybe who don't know a lot about boxing, who maybe didn't know you were this into boxing, why do you love boxing, Rosie? I love it because it just reminds me of all the trials and tribulations that I incurred when I was younger. Life just kept delivering knockout blows. And I felt I had no chance, no other choice but to get up, that I wouldn't have a chance at life if I didn't get up, if I didn't survive those blows. And I think that that mentality is just who I am innately, but also in part that I've been watching boxing since I was four years old. And at four years old, when you're seeing champions get pummeled and then get back up, I subconsciously was living precariously through them. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And seeing that a fighter who's lost a fight or won a fight, they both cry. Mm. And it allowed me to have strength in defeat. It allowed me to say, okay, you can make fun of me because I'm crying because I got knocked down, but that's all right. I'm getting back up and I still might be crying. But you know what? Some of the best champions in the world will be in the ring, win, lose a draw and be brought to tears mm. because that's how intense life is. And in the ring, it epitomizes Life to me, life is intense. You know what I mean? And it's all right to cry whether you win or lose. The point is, can you come back? Can you come back? There's some fighters who get an amazing win and can't even handle that. Andy Ruiz against Anthony Joshua. He should have been on his grind. He he was like, oh, well, he partied. Why did he party? Mentally, he wasn't prepared yeah. for that. He wasn't win. ready for the victory. Yeah, he wasn't ready for yeah. the victory. Yeah, yeah, he didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. I had a football coach who used to say, "Act like you've been there," and That's and right. and you could tell that that Ruiz was enjoying himself. He was always a guy who enjoyed life, right? And he got to that point, but he couldn't sustain it. But Rosie, this is one of the reasons I was so thrilled to have you on this show because this show has been about the fighting spirit and about people who overcome obstacles and about inspiration. And every guest that I've had has been an important, iconic 
and or inspiring American. And you're all those things, your entire life, your entire career, where you started out. There's a book now about your life that really shapes, you know, how much you you've gone through. You, you know, have triumphed in, in movies. You've been nominated for an Oscar. You were on the view, right? Which is a whole nother kind of fighting, but you're a fighter. And I think this is a time when Americans need fighters that they can root for and everybody's rooting for you. And I think now what I've seen as a fan of yours you know, I remember being a kid and seeing you and in, in do the right thing and then seeing you in White Man Can't Jump and, and saying, who is that? Like, and, and there was a spirit in everything that you did that was about toughness and was about triumph and was like that boxing spirit. Now you're training others, right? Like now that the student has become the master and you've become a voice for so many other men and women around this country and especially at this moment in time. So I want to be thoughtful in how I ask you about this, but what is your message now the Weinstein verdict is in, um, you know, everybody is, is eyes on that movement and that result. And there's so much left to do. But what, what is your, your thoughts and, and your message right now at this moment in time, which is so historic? That was a beautiful segue, by the way. <laughs> that was you. really good. Um, I didn't expect that. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, I'm not at liberty to discuss the case yet because there will be an appeal. Um, but I can tell you how I felt, um, when the verdict came in, it was actually, to be honest, bittersweet, um, because of the, uh, uh, the technicality of if you did this, you couldn't get this, you know, it really bothered me that they couldn't go for the, uh, predatory, uh, count. Right. Um, because I think if that occurred, the 90 plus women that came forward, that would have been a win for a specific win for them. Still in that said, it was still a win for all because they still got them, mm. you know, yeah. and everyone was telling me he's going to get off. Everyone. Everyone except the D.A. Mm. Except the DA. She kept saying, let's wait. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. And she said, you're a fight fan? And I went, <laughs> yeah. And she goes, all right. It's 12 rounds. Mm. Let's wait and see. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, but still, it's, it's a victory. It's a game changer. Um, you know, I saw Gloria Aura on uh, CBS this morning. And she said, this case is such a landmark case. I'm paraphrasing um, here, but she said, it is going to put every predator who has done something already on notice and put fear in their heart and every potential predator to think twice because you bring someone down like a mogul of Weinstein's level Anybody could be brought down. Mm. So it's, 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 a, it's a big thing. And I really appreciated that Cy Vance said, I know there's controversy around him and whether it's warranted or not. I'm just talking about his post-verdict comments when he said, rape is rape. No matter if it occurred today, yesterday, or 20 years ago, rape is rape. Mm. So it was a historic day. 
for the world, for the yeah. world. And your leadership was pivotal in making it happen. And your courage, I think, and so many, the courage of so many other people that, that fought and fought not just for themselves, but for those to come. So what, Rosie, do you hope happens now? Or what do you want to happen now? Bigger than just this trial, but in America, this, this watershed moment where the backdrop to this week, the Boy Scouts of America is declaring bankruptcy because there was so much abuse for so long. And now those cases are, 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 are piling up and the, the powerful are starting to be, I don't know if even, even held accountable is, is appropriate enough. There's starting to be a shift, right? Whether it's a massive institution like the Catholic Church or the Boy Scouts of America or a mogul like Harvey Weinstein. But for folks who are still in the grind, hmm. maybe they're, they're in a trial, maybe they're even being abused. Like what's the future? What can the future look like? And, and what do you want to tell them about this moment, but also your personal experience, having gone through so much yourself and, and ended up in the place you're at? I think that I don't know what's going to happen yet. Um, but I think that when you look at a TV show like Mad Men and you say, oh, my God, that was men behaving badly. You know, and I remember I heard comments about that show where people would say, well, women are behaving badly, too. And I go, do you know what statutory rape means? Do you know that if a CO in a prison has consensual sex with an inmate, it's not considered consensual. Right. It's considered statutory rape. Why? Because that CEO is in a power position. So even if that inmate was, it was consensual, why? Why was it consensual? What was the motives behind that? Was there intimidation? Was there manipulation? What, 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 what happened? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's the mm -hmm. same thing that with, when they tried to criticize the women, well, they went back to work for him. It's the most powerful man in the movie industry. What else were they supposed to do? Right. Just like the secretaries on MedMen. What else are they supposed to do? Right. right. So I hope that that shift, the way it shifted from Mad Men to what it is present day, it still needs to go much, much, much further. But where I would love to concentrate the shift on is parenting mm. and schooling. Mm. Because why do young boys feel that they can act out their rage against women or against boys? Right. Or women. There's women who sexually molest young boys. Why is that? Why do you feel that you can do that? You know, and... There had to be some type of abuse or neglect that occurred with that individual as a child. Maybe Harvey Weinstein got coddled too much. Maybe Harvey Weinstein didn't get coddled enough. Maybe his parents never checked him. Mm. Maybe everybody in his environment never checked him. But it has to start from day one. You know what I mean? I, I know parents now who are telling me, you know, I, I sat my boy down and I told him about the Weinstein case and I told him it's not right to do this. It's wrong. And you could go to jail. Mm. I go, how old is your son? Mm. 13. This is the first time you're having that talk right. with him? Right, right, right. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Where yep. they think it was cute when a boy who likes a girl doesn't know how to articulate their feelings so they punch the girl in the arm. Right. Oh, that's okay. He just likes her. No. 
No, he doesn't know how to articulate his feelings and he's getting angry and there's an act of violence that comes into play. So that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping that there's a huge shift in how we raise our kids, how we socialize our kids and how we tell them what is acceptable, what's not acceptable, what is right and what is wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's a clear, clear defining line. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise there will be a shift just like there was a shift, you know, with Mad Men, but shit still occurred. Right. Excuse right. my French. No. You know what I'm saying? This so is, this is podcasting. You can speak as much French as you want. Okay. This is and and thank you for that. It's it's very powerful and your point I think is so important. I have two young boys, right? And I think constantly and my wife and I and our whole family think constantly about how to raise our boys well and how to raise them with empathy and understanding and thoughtfulness and a, and a sense of responsibility in the world they're operating in. Um, and I, I met Harvey Weinstein. I was in rooms with Harvey Weinstein. I had no idea about all of this, but I told my wife in the first time I met him, that guy's a fucking asshole. Oh, right. That guy's an asshole. The way he treated me, the way he treated other people, he was an asshole. And, and I was in professional settings. I knew who he was. He was definitely a powerful man. There was an aura around him mm-hmm. of people who feared or respected his power, right? It's like the Bronx tale scene, right? Do you want to be feared or respected, right? Like he had this weird mix of mostly fear, but it morphed into so many things. And I just always remember from the first moment I met him and every exchange I ever had, he was rude. He wasn't, he didn't look me in the eye and he felt like, like a really bad person. That's my gut, right? Growing up and being in the environments I've been, I could tell that. I had no idea about the rest of it, but I think your point about how we raise our children is so important and so timely. And I, and I got to ask you, Rosie, because you're involved in so many causes that are a conscience. You've been an advocate on mental health. You've been an advocate for Puerto Rico. You've been an advocate uh, for people with HIV and, and AIDS. We're also operating in an environment with Trump as president. So how do you view that? And, and what are your thoughts on, we, you know, Weinstein's going to jail, but Trump is still out there every day being a misogynist and being a bully and being an asshole. Um, what are your thoughts on him in this context and this moment in time? Your show's not long enough. <laughs> we, got as long as you, we got as long as you need. You <laughs> need to comment. Um, First, I want to say this. I don't want to be in the habit. I hope I have never been in the habit of of blaming, shaming, ridiculing anyone who has voted for him. Anyone who has voted for Trump. I don't want to be in that business. My fight is not with them. It really is not. My fight is with that man and all his enablers that are around him. Cy Vance in his post-verdict um, press conference said that very thing. He had people that worked for him, Weinstein. He had publicists. He had producers. He had financiers who enabled that type of behavior. And that's why, in large part, he got away with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. nothing's going to happen to that man who's in the White House, until his enablers stop. It's not going to happen. It's either that 
or people vote him out of office. And we saw during the impeachment, his enablers are not budging. They are not budging. And it baffles my mind when they say they're good, honest Christians. And you're like, what? Are you kidding? Just like when they said with Bill Cosby, all those women can't be lying. Mm -hmm. With Weinstein, 90 plus women can't be lying. And those are the only ones that came forward. Mm -hmm. So all the women that accused this man, they're lying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the thing is, even though he got nailed to the wall, at least he admitted it, Bill Clinton. Mm. Right. At least he admitted it because he is not perfect either. So, Rosie, when you look at the landscape um, of the candidates, you've been very politically outspoken. You're really involved. People are looking to you for leadership. We've got uh, another debate. We've got Super Tuesday coming up. The New York primary is mm-hmm. may matter, right, coming mm-hmm. soon here. Um, what do you think of the candidates when you look at them? I don't know if you've supported a candidate or if you plan to, but what do you think of, of them? And if this is a fight, right, mm-hmm. somebody's going in the ring against Trump, you're an expert on evaluating fighters. Who do you think is the best fighter? Which fighter are you rooting for? And which fighter would you put in the ring against Trump? I don't have a pick. Hmm. I do not have a pick. You know, I, and that troubles me. And I'm just yeah. going to be honest. Yeah, please. Yeah. It, it troubles me because I'm Puerto Rican. I listen to Latinos across America. Just because Sanders is doing well in one state, that doesn't mean he's doing well in all. And his 60 Minutes interview, where he was trying to do a balancing act in regards to his praise and disdain for Fidel Castro, I was sitting there cringing. Yeah. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then he did the same with Israel and Palestine. And you can say, well, I agree with him. Okay, you agree with him. Does the rest of America agree with him? Right. This is a, this is a fight. This is politics. And not everybody's for your fighter. How are you going to win? What is your game plan? What is your strategy? And for me, so far, nobody has a clear cut game plan to beat Donald Trump. Mm. And that's worrisome to me because there are Democrats out there that are afraid of a so-called socialist agenda, specifically Latin people. We're not just talking about Cubans. Yeah, We're talking about Latin people that have come here from Mexico, Central America, South America, who have lived amongst dictators or socialism, and they've come to this country to get away with that, uh, from that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then you say, well, Trump is a socialist in, in a corporate sense, and he's a dictator too, and da, da, da. But people are more comfortable with the evil they know than the evil that they don't know. Right. Right, right. I they, think don't, they don't know what Sanders is about yet. So it's troubling. Mike Bloomberg, he may have another shot, to redeem himself. He had an abysmal performance on the last debate 
my husband and I were like, oh man, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then people tell me, aren't you still angry at him? Aren't you still angry at him? What he did with stop and frisk? I go, yeah. And they said, but you were rooting for him? I said, I'm rooting for anyone that could beat Trump. Right. That's how disgusting and desperate it has become. That's where this man has brought this country. We are willing to choose the lesser of two evils in order to get this man out of office. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm glad to hear you break it down that way, Rosie, because in the last couple of days alone, I've been talking to friends in New York and talking to friends around the country and many of my Latin friends, especially those who've lived in places that have been socialist are very, I see the concern and I hear the concern and it comes from experience, right? I think in in this country too often we write off experience. There are people who've experienced socialism, who've lived under socialism, who have been in Venezuela, who've been in other places and and seen what this looks like. But I really also appreciate your your practicality, right? Like if you're in the corner, you want to put a fighter in the ring who can win. And, And I have been very critical of Sanders from that very basic point that I don't think he can win. And I've seen it, you can't deny it, that people are not excited about Sanders. Like there are some people who are. The diehards are there. There are people who are always going to root for for Andy Ruiz, right? But would you pick Andy Ruiz to go back in the ring against Tyson? No, you're not going to put money on it. And I think at this point, we got to figure out who we can put in the ring and put money on and who can win. And I don't know either. I mean, Bloomberg is, is so fascinating to me because he's got guns. He's got firepower. And even if he's not the guy, he can decide where he gives that firepower. Right. And and I think it's entirely possible that they go to a broker convention and that Bloomberg's in a room with all of them. And he says, look, you pick Sanders, you don't get my money. You pick anybody other than Sanders, you get all my money. Mm. And that's how it could go down. Right. He may not be the candidate, but he may be the X factor. And that's what I see is this is a this is a knife fight. It's a gunfight. It's a war. We could call it Game of Thrones, everything else. I keep saying that Bloomberg's like a dragon in Game of Thrones. You may not love dragons, but do you want the other guy to have them? Hell no. Right. So I really appreciate you breaking it down that way. What, what You were on The View, right, for so long, mixing it up every day. We had Megan McCain on here a couple weeks ago. We'd love to get the other folks who've been on The View. Um, what did you learn about politics. I feel like you really learned how to break it down and you learned to have an ear for what people think and, and feel. But reflecting on that time where you were mixing it up every day, what what did it teach you, Rosie? I'm not at liberty to talk about that show. Okay. My apologies. I will say this. Certain experiences that I've had in my career have taught me something that you learn on stage and something that you learn in the fight game. Never play to the crowd. Mm. Never worry about the crowd. Because mm. it'll mess you up every single time. You have to stand firm in your convictions. Because if not, you get eaten alive. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Because you see <laughs> you see an amateur contender you know, going up the ranks. Yeah. And they're doing well. And they get caught up in that praise. And then they look, their eyeball just goes like this for a millisecond. And you see the dimple coming in with the smile and <laughs> boom, they get caught. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And it's the same thing with theater. 
if you're worried about and you're on stage, if you're worried about if the crowd likes you or not, if they're doing a good job or not, you could feel it. Yeah. You got you could feel it, but calm and composed always wins the fight, right? Mm, yeah. You gotta yeah. you gotta fake that. Yeah. You got to fake that shit. You got to put your best game face and take the punch without a flinching even a millisecond. Yep. You know, and just keep going. Yeah. Do your job. Yeah. Do your job. That's what I learned from a particular <laughs> job that I had. Um that was non-acting job. Got but it. uh you know, may I say this about Megan McCain and it's going to be very controversial. Please. I don't watch the show. What I have, the bits that I have watched, she's very combative, contentious, um, cunning, emotional. I don't agree with all the things that she says. I don't agree with her stance. I think she could be very mean at times. That said... I think that the hate that she's received is so ugly. It's troubling to me. And when I went on the show recently to promote Birds of Prey, and she asked me about the Harvey Weinstein trial, she got so much hate for that. She was doing her job. Nobody else wanted to ask me. Mm. And maybe that was being very respectful on the other co-host's part. Yeah. But she wasn't paying attention to the crowd. She didn't care. Right, right. She wanted to ask that question. And I think that the way she asked it, and I said this when we went off camera, when we were leaving, I said, thank you for being so considerate in the way you asked that question. I wish you had not. Mm. But I thank you for being for so respectful. Mm. And mm. she went, thank you. And she shared her opinion about it, which I don't want to share. That's sure, her words, sure, you know, sure. but we sh- shared it privately off camera. And I saw the other people, the cast and crew and producers looking like, oh, my God. And they didn't know what to say with me when I walked away. Because mm. I think that they wanted me to attack her or, or throw her some shade or all that yep. stuff. No, no. It's just like a prize fight, you know? It, it's about class because at the end of a prize fight, what do you say to the, your opponent that lost? Or what do you say to your opponent that won? I want to thank them for the opportunity. They're a good person. They put up the best fight possible and I wish them well. Mm. That's how you leave the ring, mm. you know? And so I felt that and I just, I saw a very, very sensitive, overly sensitive person mm. who believed so strongly in her beliefs. But I think your, your, your point is so important right now because I've wanted this show and the community around it to be one where we show respect. And when you come into the ring, you, you, you show respect and you honor the game and you honor the history and you honor the bigger picture, right? And, and you have always been a class act that raises the bar despite what's coming at you despite when you've been wrong despite when people haven't treated you with the same respect you have continued to raise the bar and that that's what we need more of right now you're right about megan she the, the fury she gets i've had a lot of different folks on the show and i've said it before chris cuomo was on this show he gets a certain nasty type of attacks because he's on cnn and trump fires it at him 
Uh, Rachel Maddow gets some hate. She was on this show, but it's different, and it's not nothing that I've seen as is, is as nasty or intense as the hate for Megan. And um, she's been very open about her pain. And some of me feels like people see that and they, they go for it, right? Especially the weaker people that want to take advantage of someone else's pain or, or just sadness. And she's been very open about her, the loss of her father and what she's been going through. So there's a meanness to it that is in this environment that I hope we can counter. And I think you've been countering that most of all through your example, even to hear the way you approach that is going to be refreshing for people because I want this show to be a place where people of all political backgrounds can come together around ideas. Um, well, thank you that. But just just for the record. Yeah, it took work. Yeah, I bet it took it did. a lot of work for me to get to this place of maturity, which I don't think I'm fully mature <laughs> yet. Um, for instance, when I went against Giuliani, when he tried to cut DOS, direct aid service, the only yeah. city service at that time for AIDS patients. And I was so angry. He was supposed to show up at the walkathon in New York. I thought I said hell, but they said, no, you said fuck. And I said, <laughs> oh, okay. That was one of my PTSD blanking outrage <laughs> moments where I got up in front of a massive crowd of hundreds and thousands of people on a mic at a podium in Central Park, AIDS walkathon day, all cameras there. And he was supposed to show up mm. as a gesture of good faith after that ugly fight we had with him right. about cutting DOS. And he didn't show up. They said he's not coming. And it, it, for him to come, it was a victory for us. Right. For the people in the fight, for the people who were living with HIV and AIDS, and he didn't show up. And so many people were hurt. Mm. It was a bad, bad message he was sending. Like, mm. I don't give a shit. And I was young and I was fiery and I was immature. And a friend of mine just passed away from AIDS. So I was highly emotional. And I got up on the mic and I said, and where the fuck is Giuliani? Oh, scandal. Oh my gosh. I was asked to leave immediately. I was banned from the park. You know what I mean? They banned you from the park? They banned me from the park. (laughs) Yeah. How how do you ban Rosie Perez from a park in New York? They were like, you cannot, you're banned. And and I didn't go back to the walkathon until like maybe 15, 20 years later. And um, when they, when they invited me back and I want to be honest, I was humbled. I was humbled. I didn't blame the gay men's health crisis. They had to, that's politics. Right. Right. They had to do what they had to do. You know what I mean? They're like, sorry, Rose, we love you, but. Yeah, but you know what? Like, I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, have your back. And people get too twisted up about, you know, your word choice. As a guy who loves an F-bomb, okay? And, you know, drops the word fuck as often as I need to, in part sometimes because it's effective right. in communicating the, the emotion that you have you know, I have no time for people worrying about whether or not you said fuck or shit when people are dying from AIDS, right? When so many people are dying, when people have criticized me for my word choice around suicide, when we're losing 20 veterans a day, 20 of our friends are dying every day, and I'm not going to quibble around my word choice, right? We have to focus on the bigger picture. And I think that, you know, I, I appreciate you talking about your the evolution of how you've you, you've thought about these things, but I want to ask you, Rosie, a question I ask of, of all our guests that is really a theme of, of this show. Rosie Perez, what makes you angry? Injustice. 
infuriates me. Mm. Incompetence. Mm. People who waste time, waste my time. But I would say injustice. Mm. That's a trigger. That's a trigger for me. And it comes directly from the unjust childhood that I had to endure. I don't want anyone to endure what I had to endure. And I know there are folks out there that endured far much worse than I did. And if I could do anything in my power to prevent that from happening to any child in the world, I'm going to do what I got to do. And sometimes I get exhausted by the fight and I have to remind myself of who I was when I was a kid and all those other kids in the home, we were exhausted just by existing. Mm. You know, and so I sometimes take some time off and then get back in, mm. you know? And, you know, but it's not easy. Mm. Be, you know, mm. keeping the fight going, it is not easy. Yeah, it's exhausting. It's really, and I, I've learned from, from so many people and, you know, your example and your words, like learning to take a pause. I, when I first started out in the activism world, I was so full of fire and I was so full of energy and the older guys, mostly guys and some will pull me on the side and say, dude, this is a long fight. Like you gotta, you gotta burn that candle at the right level. And you know, this is going to take decades. And I, in my mind, I didn't even know what that meant. I was in my twenties. I didn't have kids yet. I was just fucking going at it. And my friends were, 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 were wounded. And I felt that sense of injustice and a sense of righteous outrage. But now I find myself telling the others, you got to throttle it back. Sometimes you have to pause to see the landscape more clearly because you are hot and it blurs your vision and taking that rest or taking that pause can be, um, that clarifier, right? Slowing down to go faster. I think is is necessary, especially in the activism game, because it's so personal. And I, that's part of why I admire you so much. You've been so forthcoming with your story. And a, a very dear mentor of mine who um, was a Medal of Honor recipient used to tell me, just remember, every time a Medal of Honor recipient tells their story, they're ripping it out of their inside and they're sharing mm -hmm. it with you. And it hurts. Oh, it hurts yes. every oh, wow. time. Yes. And that yes. is a sacrifice. Yeah. But leadership is about sacrifice. And you've made that sacrifice over and over again, Rosie. And I've seen it. And so many of us have seen it. And, you know, anytime you're feeling that tiredness, you know, give us a holler. We'll, we'll put some more wind at your back. But you have really seated so many activists and so many people in the creative arts and so many places. You've been a great multi-sport athlete. Right. You've done so many different things and, and that positivity continues to come through. So I want to thank you for that. And then you mentioned growing up, which you've written about at length in your book and been so honest and, and candid about. But I want to ask you the other question that I ask of all our guests. Rosie Perez, what was your first car? A Datsun B210. Really? Yeah, because I, I bought it off this cokehead for, in college. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us the story? I won't say her name, but it was this very privileged girl and had a lot, family had a lot of money and she was such a cokehead and everything. And she had, she was angry that 
her family wouldn't buy her a nice car, that she had the Datsun B210, and, and her brother had a BMW. She was so angry. And I was like, well, why, why, why won't they get you a BMW? And she says, I don't know. And I go, oh, okay, maybe it's because you're a fucking cokehead. And she's like, Rose, how dare you? And I go, I'm just saying, if I was your parent, I wouldn't give you the money because you might crash the shit. Wouldn't you believe a couple of weeks later, she discovers, you know, firing it up, cooking it up, and uh-huh. inhaling it. You know, she discovers crack. And she comes to school, and she's doing the, the pipe. It's not funny, but it's funny. She's doing the pipe. Something goes whoosh, and the, the, the um, upholstery on inside the car goes on fire, her hair goes on fire. Her and her friend jump out of the car, right? Someone, because it's on the school grounds, grabs a fire extinguisher, extinguishes the car out, but it's charred and it's burnt. And and she's she came to me. She was such a crackhead. And she came to me and she goes, I need some money. I said, to fix your car? She goes, no, to sell it. We, you you want to buy it? I said, what? And she goes, Give me a thousand dollars. I said, for this pizza shit? And she goes, okay, 500. I said, no. And she goes, okay, 300. I said, I'm going to give you $200 for that piece of shit. <laughs> Take it or leave it. And she took it. Wow. So that was my first call. Wow. Pink slip and all. What, do you know what year it was? And what, what color, do you remember what color it was? I don't remember what year it was, but it was this ugly orangey color. It was so ugly. And my friend, my college friend, Joe Lopez, helped me rip out all the burnt um, upholstery in it. And like uh, the two front seats were kind of half burnt, but I had no money (laughs) to get the (laughs) seats replaced. And was this in California? Is that where you were going to school? Because I was going to college for biochemistry out there. I drove that thing around and I had to learn. I didn't know how to drive yet. I was a New Yorker. So I had to learn how to drive. I backed up um, traffic on La Brea. People were honking. I'm having an anxiety attack, like crying, going, oh, my God, because it was a stick shift. And, um, you know, Joe Lopez is in the passenger seat. He goes, you're grinding the gears. I go, what does that mean? You know. Is this, and this is before you, the legendary moment where you meet Spike Lee in a club and before. he finds you and discovers you, yeah. right? Yeah. This is before that. That was before that. The night you went to the club and, and Spike Lee met you and you met him, did you drive that car to the club? No, I had a different car. <laughs> You, you, the, 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 that might be the best car story we've had, Rosie. And we've had some good ones. Like the guys in the crew are nodding their head, waving. Mercy's throwing her hands up in the air because that is like maybe the greatest car story we've ever had. Uh, there's so many reasons why you're a, you're a badass, Rosie. And and this run you're on now with new projects, Birds of Prey. And I watched the, the Netflix show last night, um, The Last Thing He Wanted. Yeah. Right? Which I thought was so smart. And quick, and you again, you, you're playing these uh, roles that are different kinds of badasses, different kinds of heroes, and I see that through line. But um, you know, this film has got Anne Hathaway, and it's got uh, Ben Affleck, and it's got Willem Dafoe, who I just think is a legend, but in this very interesting part. And you, and it gets into the Contras and Nicaragua and the '80s and Reagan, which was a time you were alive for and around for. Um, did you can you set the context for that film and also you know doing that kind of a film at the same time you're doing Birds of Prey, 
very different lines of kind of heroism, but also important in how they cross over, right? You got Birds of Prey, which is going to be so widely seen. And then this Netflix scene, film that I think is important in helping people understand that moment in time politically, mm-hmm. right? In the 80s with Reagan running for re-election. Can you talk about those two works and, and, and what that has um, brought out of you? Um, well, the last thing he wanted is is an adaptation of Joan Didion's uh, book um, uh, about the I- Iran-Contra scam, the Sandinistas, the Contras, um, where there were illegal arms sales um, and the Reagan administration was behind it. And it was uncovered. If people look up Reagan, Iran-Contra scam, Oliver North, they will come to really understand that story. And I think that the reason why history continues to repeat itself is because people don't know the history. Right. Right. So um, I I really loved doing the last thing he wanted. I played a fo- I, I played a photojournalist who the backstory with her is that she's Latin. She's way more qualified than most of the people in the office. Um, but and understands why she got passed over. So she has a different calmness than Anne Cath- Hathaway's character. Right. You know, it's like, this is how it goes, baby. Mm. You know, why are you exhausting yourself? Take advantage of, of what you perceive as an injustice or a defeat. You know, um, so bringing that quiet confidence um, was a challenge and a thrill for me to play. Um, sometimes it gets a little convoluted, I will be honest, the movie, but... If you're a political junkie, you're going to really appreciate oh, it. I ate it up, and I yeah. thought it was great. And, and the character you play is a combat photographer, right? In a yeah. time when I don't know how common it was for uh, women to be combat photographers and, and for Latin women to be combat photographers, I don't know. But it was it, it felt like uh, a, a, an important film at about an important time and a time that is a lesson in, in shaping this context, even the run-up with Reagan, mm-hmm. right? Seeing what what Republicanism was like then versus what it is now. I thought, and I think the cast is awesome. I really thought the cast was fantastic and it has a motion to it. That's really exciting. And, an ending that I didn't expect. I'll tell you, but, but you are, you know, a a heroine and a hero in that, in that role, which it feels like your, your experience is coming full circle. Now you're in these parts that are badass and experienced and, and seasoned and teaching. Like every every character is kind of a teachable moment now. Well, I think the badassness in in Alma's character, the character I play in the last thing you wanted, is that she doesn't get tripped up by her emotions. Is that she keeps going. The scene where she's alone in the in the uh, news office by herself typing away, she's going to get the story out. Um, I think it was a powerful moment and a powerful statement. Um you know, when no one's watching, what are you going to do? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When no one's watching, when all the lights are off and everyone's gone, what are you going to do? Yeah. 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 You know, when I was taught integrity in the army, they used to always say integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, but, uh, you know, I I thought the cast was stellar as, as well. Um, you know, uh, Willem Dafoe, scene stealer Eddie Kathegi, the uh, French consulate operative. He's fantastic. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, Anne, emotional performance, the person that played her daughter. I the could kid go is on great. And on. Yeah. 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 
on and on. It was just really great. Um, you know, and in Birds of Prey, there's a job that nobody wanted me for. You know, they thought I was, you know, too old and couldn't keep up with the physicality of the other women. And I walked into Warner Brothers next day. They said, you got it, <laughs> you know, because I just said to myself, the part's already mine. Yeah, it's already mine. You have to, it's 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 like that belief system that Ali had, the belief system that Mayweather had. You, you have to believe Tyson Fury has it. Yeah. Uh, Lennox Lewis had it. Right. Um, I could go on and on. No matter how afraid you are at the task at hand, taking on the task at hand, you still have to have an element of belief that you're still going to be able to do it mm. and win. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's managing the fear because the fear is not going to go away. That's the mistake people make, right. you know, and the fear is there to help you. You could, you can make it an asset or you can make it, you know, not an asset. So, um, my heart was pounding when I went into that office at Warner brothers it was pounding, but I was so pissed off. How dare you? You don't know what my regimen is in regards to keeping my body, you know, up to paw, you know? And then the thing is, is that sometimes life just slaps you back when you think you got yeah. a victory. First day of training, tore my meniscus disc in my, yes, in my right knee, and then bruised, which means the tissue just got, got damaged yeah. in the left. First day of training. Ooh. And... I said to myself, I guess that's it. And the fight production team, 8711, who's done Dead Pill, John Wick, I mean, everything, yeah, you know, yeah. Atomic Blonde. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Everything. All those intense action films, yeah. They were so calm and they go, no, no, no. Um, here, go to see the side and I. <laughs> Let me get an MRI. Tell us what the MRI says and let's proceed there. Let's let's just all just calm down and take a deep breath. And I went, Okay. Went to see the side and I, I went, oh my God, I'm done for. And then I tell them and they're like, oh, we'll work with that. And I go, no, he said it's a severe tear. They go, yeah, 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 that's okay. You know what PRP is? And I go, yeah. And they go, get some shots. I go, really? And they're like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I said, but how am I going to do the fighting scenes? You're not. You're going to watch us. And we're going to build you up. We're going to do uh, physio with you, physical therapy wow. for the first three weeks. And then we'll take it from there. They should do a film about you in the film. This whole backstory, <laughs> like the bionic Rosie Perez. Oh, rocking, that's all right. Rocking through this. Um, when you're, when you're, when you're, I mean, it, 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 this is just, it's so interesting to hear you take us through this, the fighting spirit and the tenacity and the ferocity and, and the resilience is, is this is why I was one, one reason I was so happy to have you join us on the show, Rosie. And we've talked a lot about how this show is also about turning your righteous anger into positive impact, right. channeling that energy into something that can, can make a difference. So the, the last question I asked of all our guests that I want to ask you, Rosie Perez, what makes you happy? Oh, um, what makes me happy is my home life, hands down. Um, my husband, my cats, my dogs, God rest their souls, mm -hmm. my family, um, my small group of friends that come on over, um, the gift that 
I'm in a position in my life where I can entertain, you know? Yeah. I used to dream about that, you know, that uh, uh, dark chocolate. <laughs> dark chocolate. Dark chocolate uh, makes me ecstatic. Uh, if I'm in a bad you mood and, and you wife. offer me dark chocolate, <laughs> yeah. bang, yeah. It's, it's turned right yeah. around. I think that security makes me happy. Mm. Knowing that not only that I have love, but I can give love, that I can love mm. in a healthy way makes me really happy. Mm. So that all epitomizes home life because I know this sounds really strange and I hope your listeners don't think it's pompous because I'm not a pompous person at all. Yeah. But when I was a child, I knew I was going to do something important in the world. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was going to be the female Jacques Cousteau, yeah. the famous marine biologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was stupid because I'm Puerto Rican and I don't like to get my hair wet. <laughs> and um, But at the time, you know, I was fine with it. That was um, your dream. That was my dream. Yeah. But I real, realized later in life that it could have been anything. It could have been marine biology. But it was the reason why marine biology meant something to me is because I was contributing to the world to make it a better place mm -hmm. that I wanted to clean up the oceans. I wanted to clean up the lakes. I wanted to clean up and have healthy drinking water for poor people. So it was, it was that mindset that I always had as a kid mm -hmm. always had, but I didn't know where it was going. Okay. And That said, what I wanted life to give back to me was security. That's all I wanted. Mm. I didn't want fame. I didn't want, I wanted money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I would be okay if I did, wasn't a multimillionaire. You know what I mean? What I wanted, what I dreamed of was having a house of my own and I didn't have to worry about the bills. Mm. That was my motivation in life and that I had a happy home life inside that foundation. Hmm. You know, that's, that's all that mattered to me. And it's the one thing that matters to me still. And it's the, if that's not in place, I am not a nice person to be around. <laughs> I am such an asshole. You have absolutely no idea how big of an asshole I could be. I'm just being honest. I've, you're always being honest. That's that's why that's why the world loves you, bro. And, and you still, I've read a lot about how you you know you you grew up in the dancing industry, right? Like you still dance, and that brings you happiness. Like brings I me happiness. Yeah, inside my home. Yeah. Well, I, I well, I don't know if you know these two guys, Stretch, DJ Stretch, sure. Armstrong, and, yeah. and Bobito Garcia. I grew up in New York, of course. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. They're the only clubs that I'll, I'll go to nowadays. I'll only go to their club. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because there's no pressure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I used to go to Tony Touch, but it's just too much pressure because there's like too many like... Youngsters. Now you can have a club in your own house. You've got now, that. You can I do entertain, have my own right? Club. What? Yeah. You gotta see it. You yeah, see my, it. that we've tried to do dance party every day in my house with my kids. 
because it's just the purity and the happiness of the motion and the music. And my little guy is got the gift of music. He pick, I look over and he picks up a little guitar and he's playing and he just hears and feels the music. But that the, just the purity of the music and the motion is such a contagious happiness. Yeah. And, and to see how far you've come and to see the adversity you've gone through and to see how you've triumphed and you've motivated so many other people. And now you got, you know, the world listening, you've got the world inspired, you've got the world dancing and, and that's because of your leadership. And, well, and I want to, I want to thank you for it. And, and the final part of our show, Rosie is the giving of the gifts. So that is another expression of our gratitude. Your team may not have prepared you for this, but I'll help you with this. It's a big bag for folks listening. I can even hold your mic if you want. It's got three phases. So first is the gear. So this merch here, we got, yep, all different colors, super comfortable, different sizes. And it's, uh, you can rock that if you go out to the clubs or wherever else. Made in America by the veterans of Oscar Mike. Oh, wow. And this one. And different colors, different sizes for you. Oh my um, god, I love these. I'm glad. Oh, I'm glad. And then we've got we got red too. I got the red. You got like the, red. the red. You got all the colors. You can thank you. Thank rock you. them now. Next, we've got um, this is another tradition of the show, and I'm going to pull them out now. Easter is coming, but this started. We're almost on our first anniversary. <laughs> And uh, this is a the, the, the kind of a Rorschach test of, of our of our guests, but we have three colors of peeps: okay. blue, pink, and yellow. Rosie Perez, which color would you choose and why? I would choose the yellow. Why do you like the yellow, Rosie? Because it probably would it would be the one that less freaks me out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love the honesty. I love always the honesty. That's the like that. That's the great New Yorker. I got to ask you too because I didn't get to ask you this. Would you ever run for office? No. No. There's no. a real opening for a mayor right now. Uh-huh. Would you? Uh, no. 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 I think there are a lot of people. There's talk. Andrew Yang might run. There's talk. Other people might run. No. I. I I'll say because one. I love acting. Yeah. I love what I do. I love going to the fights. You know what I mean? I love my home life and I wouldn't want to give that up. And when you become a public servant on that level, you have to be completely selfless. Mm. You know, you can't, you know, there's no room for self-centeredness unless you're on the debate stage. Right, right, you know, right, then right. you got to go over, you know, go for the gusto. But outside of that, no, it, it, it takes too much. It, it becomes your entire life um you know public service is very very important to me and you know and plus i still struggle with my temper you know i still i still am in psychiatric therapy um uh you know god bless america two times for that you know um you know and i and there are times even when i've been on cnn where i've lost my cool you know, and I look at myself and I just laugh. I go, oh my God, you look so Brooklyn. You know, when yeah, my but, eyes are rolling, but my I gotta head tell is you, you know swerving what? and I just it get means so you're, angry. You, you keep it real. And it's I so important it real, because but... it's, I've been in those chairs, I've been on the shows and so many people aren't their, their true selves, right? And right. you see them afterward, but you're your true self and you're not afraid to say what you think. And well, if you won't run for office in New York, I hope whoever the mayor is and whoever the next president is taps you to be involved because you're such a powerful voice. But I, 
until then, let me hold this for you. Okay. We've got to get through a couple more debates. So the final gift for you is this one here. I'll hand that to you, mm. and then I'll take the bag. So I'll help you with your mic. Um, but this is a la- this is another tradition of the show. So we always pick champagne? something. It's not champagne, but <gasps> it's we always find an American whiskey. My husband is gonna love. Yeah. These. Well, there's a reason why I picked it too. So it's it's Widow Jane, aged ten years. But if you look on the back, it's distilled. In Brooklyn. Oh, oh so right on. like the that. great Rosie Perez, it's it's distilled in Brooklyn and keeps getting better every year and has a truth and an honesty. So I thought I, I go to a liquor store every time and you know it's like it's a New York liquor store. So I come walking in, I'm like, there's so many things. I try to find something that speaks to me. And this spoke to me for you, Rosie. Oh, so I hope yeah, you, you and so your husband much. will enjoy it at the next oh, debate or for the next fight. Whatever big fight the that, debates that tonight. is. Yeah. Right? Is yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah. Tonight. Yeah. We're taping this on, uh, what day is it? Tuesday. It'll drop on Thursday. And uh, I mean, would you, if, 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 if there was a debate on in a heavyweight fight at the same time, which one would you watch? Rosa? Heavyweight. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would, I would record the debate and then watch it afterwards. It's <laughs> true. It's true. It's true. I, I like watching and it I in love real the, time. The cool so. part about the fights is it's one of the few things that we all can share yeah. in the moment. In the moment. Right? Like it's, it, there's only a couple things like disasters, like hurricanes, um, some of these debates and maybe some select like concerts and big moments and then, you know, really big sporting events. It's kind of one of the only things we still share without waiting till later. We share it in that moment. Like, I didn't want to have to find out what happened in the fight afterward, right? Yeah. Like, to be in that moment with a group of people, there's something, there's a purity about being in a room with a bunch of people, some who you know, some you, who you may not know, and you're all watching and experiencing that same thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping that the, the heavyweight, uh, fight that is America and the future will have a better result for all of us than it did for Deontay Wilder. Yeah. Um, but I, I just want to thank you again, Rosie, for your inspiration, for your leadership, for your tenacity. You're a role model oh, and you, you represent the best of what this city's about and the best of what this country's about. And especially for those of us that, that have children or young people or just going through a struggle, you, you are a tremendous role model and a great leader. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, and I just have to say, I just, I just want to press upon people to always help someone out because somebody helped me out and without even asking me to pay it forward. But I was so inspired by how much they gave to try to make my life better. Um, and even the, I've had so many mentors in the activist game, you know, and they taught me so much. Even when I cursed out Giuliani, they pulled me aside and said, listen. <laughs> you do that now, you know? you're going to be at the front runner status in exactly, the Democratic Party. Exactly. But, uh, you know, um, just keep in mind, just that's, that's why it pays to help people out and be kind to one another. Because you, that, that helps move that wheel of justice ever so much forward, you know? Just keep doing it because it's like I don't see myself as a leader yet. I still see myself as somebody still learning mm. how to fight the good mm. fight. So, mm. but thank but you for having you me. are you are a a legend in the fight, and you will continue. Your legend will continue to grow, and we are very very grateful. Uh, Rosie Perez, thank you so much for joining me on Angry Americans, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. 
The great and powerful Rosie Perez, live from the Classic Car Club in Manhattan. Watch for Rosie next to a ring near you and on the Twitter sphere and everywhere else. She's a prize fighter that represents all the best of what America's all about. Thank you, folks. Especially in times like these, and especially when you feel like you're getting hit from all sides, there's plenty of reason to be angry. But there's also always a way to make an impact. It's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every show, I offer a way of converting your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that will channel your energy, make you feel good, and will make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packing a punch of the four eyes. Integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. I recently started showing my kids old Mr. Rogers Neighborhood episodes. And they're amazing. He really breaks it down in a way that's incredible. And he was a fighter of a different kind. He fought hate, ignorance, division, loneliness. And he was a true champion, a people's champion, like Rosie. He started with a small boat that created big waves. Big waves that changed the world in a way he never could have imagined. Waves that continue to rise long after he's gone. This is my fight song. Just like Rosie's done. This week, thanks to the courage of women like Rosie and so many whose names we'll never know, Harvey Weinstein is going to jail. But that's never going to bring resolution or true healing to the countless lives he destroyed. Only true cultural transformation can bring that. And that's the focus of Time's Up. Time's Up is a nonprofit that insists upon a world where work is safe, fair, and dignified for women of all kinds. Founded in 2018 by more than 300 women in entertainment, Time's Up message quickly resonated with alliances and individuals across all industries worldwide. The founders got right to work tackling pressing gender equity issues in various industries from L.A. to New York to the United Kingdom. And the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund was built to help survivors of sexual harassment and retaliation, especially low-income women and people of color, achieve justice. They fight for justice, just like Rosie and just like you can too. So go to timesupnow.org. That's timesupnow.org. They've got more than 700 attorneys in their network taking on cases and helping people understand their rights at work. And since they launched, nearly 4,000 people have been connected to legal and public relations resources. While the fund protects working people when sexual harassment and abuse occurs, Time's Up Now works to prevent sexual harassment and retaliated forms of discrimination in the first place. They get at the root cause of harassment and discrimination by fighting for gender equity at every level of society. Because women will only be safe at work when they're equal at work. Time's Up work is bold, diverse, and solutions-oriented. Governments, businesses, and individuals all benefit from a world that's free of violence, discrimination, and barriers that hold women back. By working together from all backgrounds, men and women together, 
We can increase women's power and influence and ensure everyone has an equal chance to succeed at work and beyond. Now, if you've experienced any form of sexual harassment or violence yourself, don't go it alone. There are resources out there, and you can find some support that works for you also at timesupnow.org. If you've experienced sexual harassment or discrimination on the job, Time's Up can help connect you with an attorney who can take on your case for free or at a reduced rate. You can also call them at 202-319-3053. And sometimes you just need to talk. So they've partnered with RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. If you go to the website, you can find out more and get everything from local resources in your area to a sympathetic ear ready to listen. Every call is completely free and confidential, and that number is 800-656-4673. If you need to take down a pen or put it in your phone, it's 800-656-4673. Or you can go to timesupnow.org. Time is up on the past, and it's time to build the future. Ready to join the fight? Then get to work. Be a helper. Be a corner woman or a corner man to the men and women in the ring, and so many yet to come. Go to timesupnow.org and fight for all the fighters. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. And if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active. All right, this has been a championship episode, and there's a lot of folks to thank in my corner and in my camp that helped make this episode happen. It starts with Rosie Perez. She's absolutely fantastic, a class act, and a true honor to sit down with her. I also want to thank her awesome team, especially Tariq Kanafani and Jay Cologne. I also want to thank our mutual friend, David Angelo. He is a master. He is our custom auto. He first introduced me to Rosie and has been a friend to both of us. I also want to thank his colleague, Mark Schwartzberg. David and Mark Schwartzberg designed the logo for the show and for Righteous, and it rocks. If you dig what we've designed, thank those guys. They work at David and Goliath, and you can check them out online. Another awesome fighter in my camp, Mighty Mercy Rich. She continues to punch way above her weight class and makes big things happen. want to thank Mercy for all her leadership. want to thank creative Chris Rosenthal, who is another one of our cornermen. He makes all the amazing video content and helps us push out everything on social media and the YouTube page, which you should definitely check out. He's part of the whole outstanding team at Righteous Media. They power this show and the platforms around it. And that team includes Omar Legalege, who is celebrating his 30th birthday. Thanks to Umar for helping us out on every episode recently. You continue to be an inspiration. You are a fighter, and we're honored to have you in our camp, my friend. Big thanks to Roy Velchek for shooting the video. He continues to be our master of video. Check out angryamericans.us right after this for a video of my conversation with Rosie Perez. You can also go back and check out video of all our recent episodes and some highlights and behind the scenes. You can also find them on our YouTube page, which you should go to and subscribe. Big thanks to Bill Schultz, the best cut man there is, period. Big thanks to Oscar Mike, our awesome merch partners. Check out all the new designs at angryamericans.us now. They are not the magical, dark robot spacesuit that Deontay Wilder wore, but they are hot and Rosie likes them, so check them out. They have our back, and I'm extremely grateful also. Thankful to all of you who've been listening, so it's time. It's that time. Time to thank a listener. 
Every week, I want to thank a few angry Americans just for listening. And we always want to hear from you, and we do have a hotline. You can call 833-33-ANGRY, 833-33-ANGRY. You can give us a call, and we will make you famous. I'll make you famous. It's 833-33-ANGRY. You can leave us a voicemail. You can tell me what's got you angry. You can tell me what you thought of this episode. You can sing me a song like Tyson Fury, whatever you want to do, and maybe we'll use it on a future show. But stay tuned for more of that and check us out. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. All right, big thanks to a few heavyweight fans who continue to help us punch way above our weight class. First off, big thanks to Hungry Heather, who tweets it at Heather Mata one uh, She lives in Brazil. She is an Alaska-grown transplant who now lives in Brazil. Harvester of the sun, leader of two children, in love with, it looks like, fish, alligators, mice, uh, cardinals, and palm trees. She is a protector, and she uses she and her, and she is here to amplify the peat wave. A lot of Pete Buttigieg fans since we aired that episode. A lot of folks are interested in Pete Buttigieg, but we hope to have all the candidates on this show. We've had Tulsi Gabbard, we've had Pete Buttigieg, an invite is out to others, and I hope many will join us. This show does not support one candidate or another in particular, but we will support good ideas and we will support good conversation, and every campaign is welcome to send their folks our way. But Hungry Heather wrote that military service doesn't need to be a qualifier for the commander-in-chief, but at a time like now, it puts an already qualified candidate to the top. She's talking about Mayor Pete Buttigieg in her opinion. If you haven't heard it, go back and check out episode 37. We've also got an awesome video of the whole thing on our website at angryamericans.us. But big thanks to Hungry Heather. Next up, big thanks to Ryan Wells, who is in Pennsylvania. He tweets at RDW5150, which I love. He tweets about mostly politics, but he's also in a band called Red Means Run. It's an all-country roots rock band, also from Philadelphia. Uh, and you can check them out at Red Means Run 1 on Twitter, or you can go to redmeansrun.bandcamp.com, and you can check out this song. Sun never burned as bright as the day at me crooked with nothing left to say that's ryan's band red means run it's a song called whiskey and roses and how can i not like that one but show him some love uh ryan tweeted angry americans paul reichoff really enjoyed the henry rollins episode great stuff thanks for that man hope to check out your band if i'm ever in philly anytime soon also, big thanks to Tim Gray, who is from Los Angeles, California. He's Tim Gray underscore variety. He is a variety senior VP, an awards editor, and an LA native. He writes about award contenders and vintage Hollywood. He's overseen special reports like the 2013 80-page study of Hollywood and violence. Uh, he, he's covered marriage equality and criminal justice reform. And he's author of a book called Variety, an illustrated history of the world, about world events and their connection or disconnect to entertainment and Hollywood Dictionary, which defines language terms. He was also a co-producer of the HBO documentary Bafo. But Tim Gray is an awesome guy, uh, and he tweeted, if you're not subscribing to Angry Americans, you're missing the most thoughtful, funny, and inspiring talks available. Big thanks and congrats to Paul Rykoff. Thank you, man. 
He also came out to our awesome live event with Henry Rollins in California and Hollywood at the Hotel Cafe. So I want to thank Tim again for coming out and everybody else who came out. The feedback on that episode continues to pour in. It's our biggest episode yet. Uh, It was an ass kicker going out west and coming back. I have a cold. I do not have the coronavirus, but we are continuing to surge forward and we are continuing to get great feedback from the Henry Rollins episode. Big thanks to Amir Hadzik, who is from Wildwood, Missouri. He is a retired U.S. Marine Corps Infantry Unit Leader. He is a human rights activist and a public servant. Big thanks to Amir for checking us out. He wrote that that episode with Henry kicked ass. I've been a Henry Rollins fan since I was a little kid in Sarajevo. And when I discovered I love punk and metal. But huge thanks to you, Amir. You are an awesome dude. You are an inspiring fighter yourself, going all the way from Sarajevo to the Marine Corps to Wildwood, Missouri. Uh, Big thanks for listening. And finally, big thanks to Josh Carroll, who comes from what he calls the City of Champions in Massachusetts, otherwise known as Boston. But he is a lawyer, veteran, father, endurance athlete, still in search of the perfect wave. And he says, actions speak louder than tweets. That is definitely true. In this man's case, I've known him for many years. He is an inspiring Air Force pilot, uh, call sign Bronco. He's originally from New Hampshire. And he's the founder of a very, very cool nonprofit called Flying Scarves. When he says, actions speak louder than tweets, this is a man who means it. So check out Josh Carroll on Twitter and check out flyingscarves.com. He's got a law degree from Duke Law School and is a major in the U.S. Air Force Reserve. And he speaks to lots of organizations about social entrepreneurship, leadership, and service. And he lives in New Hampshire with his beautiful family. But he created Flying Scarves when he decided the problems in Afghanistan required action on multiple fronts. And here's the story. During their deployment, they saved countless American and NATO lives by providing close air support from above. He was a pilot. We couldn't help but wonder how else they might be able to disrupt and defeat the enemy. You can't help but think there has to be another way. So they decided to focus on education and economics in addition to the security operations they were already conducting. So after doing some research and talking with local Afghans, they learned that the insurgent groups in Afghanistan preyed upon kids who were forced to beg on the streets of Kabul. So these children were desperate, and in many cases, they had to provide for their younger siblings and their widowed mothers. Poverty and desperation would open the door for extremist groups who could offer them a salary they otherwise would not receive in exchange for their loyalty. So sadly, when you're nine years old and you're homeless and you're starving, that's not a tough choice. So their plan, employ the widows, educate their children, and suffocate the insurgency. After learning about this unconscionable paradigm, the solution for Josh and the crew became clear. Employ parents, keep kids in school and off the streets, and suffocate the insurgent recruiting. So co-founders Jonathan Hudgens and Josh Carroll were inspired by a picture that they got from John's sister, in which all the girls in their sorority were wearing scarves. So they met with a young man whose mother taught widows how to create handmade scarves from among other handicrafts. They learned that women's husbands were killed by the Taliban, and because of conservative cultural norms, they were unable to hold public employment or remarry. These women had an average of four kids each. Many of these kids were forced to beg on the streets where they would be targets of insurgent recruiters who would find them and coerce them into joining. So in that moment, Josh and his partners realized that it was not hard to imagine that if they didn't do anything, our children would be fighting their children in 20 years. So they went to work selling the widow's scarves online and sending whatever they could back to the families. 
And that's the idea behind Flying Scarves. You can go to flyingscarves.com to find out more and to support them. But that's Josh Carroll, awesome human, big supporter of this show. And he wrote, I can't say enough about the Henry Rollins episode on Angry Americans. This podcast with Paul Reichoff, his guests, and the message it brings lifts me up every single time. You lift us up, Josh. You lift up people in New England. You lift up people in Afghanistan. You lift up people all across this country, and you lift me up, man. And I'm grateful for that. So my best to you and your gorgeous family. Thank you to Josh and everyone else. Please keep the feedback coming. I'm grateful to all of you. Thank you. You should know. I love everything about you. Don't you know that I'm And I'm truly thankful to all of you. This show is quickly approaching our first anniversary, and I am really, really appreciative of all the support, big and small. I'm also appreciative for Kelly Clarkson, who is just amazing, as my dear friend Chad Ryan often reminds me. But I am also reminded of how great my family is, my wife and my two amazing boys. As we dug into a lot of Me Too issues this episode, I was reminded that my wife worked in the entertainment industry for decades. She was the first woman in her office when it opened in New York. And for years, she faced harassment and shit I can't even imagine. But she fought through all of it, and she's been a part of changing the culture. She's been a mentor and a role model to so many women in the industry and beyond. And she's been a hero to so many, especially to me and to my boys, who will always know that they have a fighter for a mom. So my thanks to you, babe. I love you. And my thanks to the boys, of course. It was spirit week at school, so my big guy had a different outfit every day. They did sporting day. They did wacky day, where he wore my wife's old Halloween costume when she dressed up like Randy Macho Man Savage. But school spirit week was excellent. They are enjoying the Mr. Rogers episodes. And coming up this week is the baby's first birthday so we couldn't be more excited to celebrate you little guy and my thanks to the whole family for just making it the most amazing year of our lives but i'm thankful to you guys and i love you just like i'm always thankful to you my dear listeners for tuning in even when my voice is shot even when the show is late even when the show is long please keep spreading the word and please keep getting back up keep training keep working the heavy bag and continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out if you're on apple device please leave the show a quick review subscribe now and you can have it fresh and hot and waiting for you every thursday i hope this show helps you through your grind through your training for life and through whatever adversity you face or we face together and definitely keep the feedback coming on social media i see you i hear you and i'm with you and go to angryamericans.us sign up for our newsletter We'll have more events like the one with Henry Rollins and more good stuff coming all year long. So stay tuned, subscribe for free and share, and we'll keep this movement growing week by week, punch by punch. And we'll continue to support the fighters, the fighters who are fighting the good fight and the fighters who are training other fighters on how to fight and how to fight the right way, just like Rosie Perez. Just remember, Rosie's out there. She's training, she's fighting, she's dancing, and she's helping out others. And I hope hearing from her today has helped you. Show her some love on Twitter. You can find her there and on social media, but let Rosie know how much we appreciate her leadership. She's a fighter who's inspired a generation of other fighters. I am just a poor boy, though my story is seldom told. I and remember, it's okay to be angry, but know you're not alone. We're all a little angry, and that's because we're paying attention. And we're all fighting the good fight 
together. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact, just like Rosie and just like America. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Keep up the fight and stay vigilant, America. When I left my home and my family, I was no more than a boy in the company of strangers in the quiet of the railway station. Let them scare.